Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Fred Goldstein, and I'm glad to be here on the second day of HIMSS 2018 with our live from HIMSS broadcast at the Click Healthcare Analytics booth, number 2865 here within the big hall. It's been a fantastic conference so far. We're kicking off another two hours of broadcast here, and I'm joined today for this first group with Dr. George Reynolds, a pediatric intensivist who also has apparently gotten into data quite seriously. Over so the time, yeah. Give us some of the background on, on uh, your practice and then how you moved into the data area. Um, well, I, I, I think my practice was always in an ICU. There's always a lot of data, and so I think that right. we, we are kind of attracted to that that sort of, of thought process to begin with. Um, and I kind of, I don't, it was never a conscious career choice. I, I say I oozed into the IT side. <laughs> I, you know, I started as a... Uh, as a you know medical director of informatics, and then I became the CMIO, and then when the CIO left, they said you want to do that job too, and you know so I just kind of kept saying so you steadily kept dug yourself deeper in, into exactly. the data, right? Yeah, yeah. Or did you say oozed into it? Yeah, exactly. So give us some idea of some of the work you did earlier on with you with the hospital system. Is that right? Or yeah, hospital? no, it was, it was Children's Hospital in Omaha, and, uh-huh. and actually. My CIO at the time was busy installing an enterprise data warehouse, and we had Click um, associated with one of the one of the EHR applications we had, uh, the surgical one, and and so we looked at it and thought, well, this would be fun. And she said, yeah, you can you can use that to kind of play with stuff. We were putting in CPOE. This is this was back I don't know 2005 maybe. Um, you know, you can you can play with that, and we can do some stuff with with uh, the dashboards while I'm working on the real. And, and we built this first dashboard and started showing it to people and they said, well, how come George has this and I want this? And before you know it, we were we had dashboards for kids with asthma and we had dashboards for immunization tracking. We had a dashboard, we actually had a dashboard on the dashboard use. We had, you know, but, but we literally, you know, the, we had a dashboard where you could literally look at every single order on the inpatient side, what the diagnosis was, who entered it, why they entered it, what alerts they saw. You know, the original theory was I wanted to see who was seeing lots of alerts because I thought if they're seeing lots of alerts, it's because they were doing it wrong. Well, no, it turns out if they're seeing lots of alerts, it's because we built the alerts wrong. So we were able to drive our alerting frequency down to like six percent, which is pretty unheard of in the industry. Forty percent is is considered good. That's so that's incredible. And so it sounds like once you got into it, you just kept finding more yeah. and more uses for the product. Yeah, and both clinical and operational. Exactly. And um, now the work you do? Um, so now I do a, a variety of things. I, I do a lot of teaching for, for Chime, and uh, I do consulting for large IDNs, um, largely around EHR uh, implementation and analytics. Um, lots of conversations around what's your analytic strategy, how are, you, how are you driving adoption, who are your users, how do you think about your users. So as you've looked at that, and obviously you're out there talking to a bunch of different folks, what do you see? Is are there some common themes you're seeing, or some common issues you're coming across? Well, obviously there are lots of people out there doing lots of really good work, but but I think the majority of organizations still kind of struggle with the vision thing. That you know, you talk to the, the 
the, the CIO or the, the BI director or whoever it is, and they've, they've got this vision for a more pervasive use of the data, um, but they're challenged by end users that say, I don't want all that stuff, I just want you to give me X. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, give me a spreadsheet, give me a flat file, give me, give me this piece of information. And, and the challenge with that is, as soon as you deliver it, they say, well, now I need Y, and now I need Z. And, and because they start to think about it, it really only about 20% of the people out there are really comfortable thinking analytically. Uh -huh. The other 80% think they just want the, you know, the data they need to manage their day-to-day -day activity until somebody comes up with a challenge. You need to cut this, you need to reduce that, you've got a problem there. Then they want more information. Then they want to start to drill down. So they're all challenged with the same sorts of tasks. And you can either just say, well, we're only going to hire those 20% that, that think analytically um, and let the rest of them go. Or you're going to have to train these people to use kind of what-if thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's, that's an interesting process. It's really hard to get people to think about what their strategy is when they haven't seen it, when all they've seen is an Excel spreadsheet uh, and, and advanced analytics is a pivot table. Right, so let me ask you something about that. When you suddenly say to yourself, I'm you know, these people suddenly are gonna be asking more questions, yep. but then you've also got to give them something that they can yes. use because they're not analysts. They're right. not writing SQL code or something. No. So how do you how do, you do that? So, it, it's, it's interesting. Um, the tools are, you know, we're, we're in the click booth. The, yeah. the tools are pretty easy to use, and once once you get some training in it, most people can do it. Um, mm -hmm. Everybody can do it. I mean, it really isn't a technical issue. It's it's much more cultural. It's much more around the expectations and the training and the support to get it done. So, you've got two conflicting, or you know, mm -hmm. often in the business intelligence division or in the IT department or wherever wherever your analytic shop is located, they want to have command and control. They want to centralize everything, they want to they want to they want to lock everything down. They don't want people breaking things. At the same time they don't want to be in the business of constantly reinventing things and they'd like their end users to be smarter and be able to do more stuff. So there's a conflict there. And on the other side, you've got the end users that say, I don't have time to learn all this stuff. Just give me what I need. You know, give give me that Excel spreadsheet and leave me alone until the next until my next question two weeks from now, mm -hmm. which I will then need immediately. Um, so you you need to bring them together and show them what a self service governance process looks like, what a self service package looks like, so that they can start to see the bright and shiny lights in the, of, of of real independence in terms of being able to ask that next question without having to get back into the prioritization queue back at the mothership. Uh -huh. it's, it, it's, it's, it's an iterative process. You, 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 you do it, you show it, you demonstrate the win, that gets the next person interested and the next person interested. Mm -hmm. So, and it, it's interesting because I actually was talking to somebody who, who suddenly had click put in front of them mm -hmm. to use it yeah. and said, wow, this is pretty easy. It's answering my questions. I now want to distribute it out yeah. through the rest of my management team at lower levels mm -hmm. and lower levels so they can begin to answer the questions within their specific departments or areas, yeah. et cetera. So, and he probably is part of the 20%. Those are the easy ones to get because <laughs> they, they get it. They, once they see right. it and they say, oh, I can drill down and I can ask this, and what, okay, what, what floor does this happen on? When does it happen? Is it time of day? You know, they, they, they get the, 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 the what if questions. The other 80% are made very uncomfortable by this initially. One of the, one of the smartest, dumbest things I ever did was when we were designing the dashboards um, and we were working with, with the doc. 
and she was afraid she was going to break it. If she, if she drilled down and asked too many queries in the tool, she'd break it. So we put a big red button in the corner that said reset, and it just put the whole dashboard back, back to the to default. The yeah. Wow. So that no matter what she That's did, a great idea. You know, it, 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 it sounds stupid, but on the other hand, it was it, it, it drove this comfort level that you really can't break these things. Right. And you're and you're and you're meeting the need of a unique yeah. end user yeah. by yeah. by facilitating and you, and you that. And you encourage them then to, to, to play. Yeah. You cannot break it. Don't worry. What are some of the other unique things you see people doing now with some of their data out there? Oh, um, well, I, I was just talking to, to, to a guy here in the booth who uh, is looking at, at geolocating data. Uh -huh. um, so one, one of the more, I think, exciting aspects of pop health is going to be this idea that 20% of what goes on in healthcare goes on in the hospital, the doctor's office, right. the rehab clinic, the SNF, what we think of as healthcare. The other 80% happens in people's homes and restaurants. And, you know, it happens out in the world. And if you're managing a group of patients with, with, with a chronic disease and they live in a certain neighborhood, where they live tells you a great deal about their socioeconomic status, their likely their education, how they want to consume information, how, how they don't want to consume information, what their transportation alternatives are. So being able to start to integrate some of that information about the patient mm -hmm. and put that in front of the caregiving team of a, of a chronically ill patient because you're going to manage a patient with COPD or, or, or renal failure or whatever it is differently if they live in a place where transportation is a challenge, the, you know, their, their ability to, to understand or use a lot of technology is limited. You're going to, you're going to approach them differently to, you know, to keep them healthy. So some of the concerns with, with that, with moving into social care mental health and pulling in that yeah. data is, one, where do I get it? And two, I'm already trying to integrate my stuff, so how does Click help with that? I, you know, I mean, it can be, it literally can be as, as simple as a full zip code. You know, just that geography alone allows you to draw some inferences. Is it 100% accurate? No. But is it vastly better than what we have today? Oh yeah, and that's that's real easy to do. And if you can if you can if you can add to that with other mm -hmm. parts of you know, other pieces of information about the patient, and you can, can start to customize it. Could you address that from a technical perspective because I know a lot of people say, "Well, golly, you know, I got to drop that into some database and then I got to write all this code." But with Click it's different, right? Yeah, I mean, you, know, you can you pretty much can take any data source you want, ranging from you know, a very complex relational database to a Excel flat file. And, and you can do all those pieces at the same time. So it's not like you need to normalize all the data. You know, all you gotta do is link it so that we're, so that if, if we're talking about Joe Smith, we're talking about Joe Smith when we look at his zip code, we're talking about yeah. Joe Smith when we look at his, 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 his pharmacy refills and all the rest of it. Right, and what I've seen, and we actually did a webinar last October on social determinants of health, population health, and, and geomapping, yeah. and we're showing you know hurricane coming through and yeah. those kinds of things, um, and it really was shocking sort of how simple it was to be able to begin to and, look at things that way. And some of it, I don't even know how to put all the right people in the room sometimes. I'll give you an example. Uh, this was several years ago, but somebody did a, 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 a pilot study looking at kids with asthma, mm -hmm. and they tied it using geolocation 
to an internet, I don't even know what, the, the association of roofers. There's, uh -huh. there's a database out there that the roofers have that tells them how old roofs are in, in you know by by sub zip code. Wow. Um, now, what does asthma have to do with, with roofing? I, 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 I was lost. Well, an older roof leaks. Leaks. And if you're in a certain and area, you're going to get, you get mold yes. or mildew, yep. and you're going to trigger asthma. Yep. So you had a doc saying, I keep seeing this kid back. He kept coming back to the ER. I've got him on good therapy. I don't know. There's something going on. Great. It's probably mildew. How do you tie that back to roof? I don't even, I, I, would, I wouldn't know how to think of that, but somebody Great did. Great unique yeah, idea. Yeah, really yeah, a unique yeah, idea of using yeah. the system, take some unique data to, to kick some of those social determinants back in. So what do you see now that excites you in the analytics world? Um, I, we're at a point where, is, you kind of touched on, we're at a point where it's not about the tools. It's, it's kind of funny, as I walked through the booth, I heard people talking about outer joints and inner joints. It's not about the tools. You know, even relatively small organizations can can stand up a pretty sophisticated uh, data warehouse strategy that runs on nothing more than SQL, and 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 you can. So it's really not a technology challenge anymore. It's much more a social cultural challenge. How do we get people to think about healthcare in new ways and ask those what if questions? Because the folks in the business intelligence department, as smart as they are and as good as they are, are never going to have the the operational knowledge or the clinical knowledge that the end users are going to have. So if you can put those tools in their hands in ways that make sense and are relatively frictionless, you're going to see significant changes in the way things are done. Fascinating. So as you go out and talk to providers, sort of where do you tell them to start? Great question. Um, I, I think you need to start with that vision. What is it you want to accomplish? Do you want a self-service distributed analytics program? And, and, and what you go and any what, further than that, would you ever recommend not doing that? I, you know, culturally you kind of have to look at an organization and decide where they are. Mm -hmm. You know, if they really are largely paper-based and Excel spreadsheet-based, they may not, you know, and you're gonna and you're gonna walk out to the to the the chief of nursing and say, yeah, we're not giving you gonna give you any of that stuff. Now you're gonna have to have, hire your own person and put them in charge yeah. of it. That's gonna fail. Okay, guys. So so you you know sometimes you gotta take some baby steps, but you know the, mm -hmm. that that's always the vision I want to get them to is to get IT out of the business of day-to-day -day building of tools and rather into the business of curating data sets that other people can then access and do smart things with. Because uh -huh. they're going to come up with smarter things than, than IT ever will because they know their business better than IT knows their business. Um, which means you then need to stand up a governance process and, and that often is painful because you've got tons of reports out there and different definitions all over the place for, for you know what's a length of stay and what you know what's a hospital day what you know what's a ventilator day all those things so you need to do the heavy lifting to define those things and centralize how people can look at them and access them and, and understand what the definitions are. Um, it people are very resistant to doing that because they've got this huge legacy out there, but it really is kind of the cost of doing business. It's pay me now or pay me later because you're going to have to work through these issues or you're going to spend hours in meetings. When It gets fun when you're in an organization that is that is data-driven to the extent that they start arguing not about whether my data is right or your data is right, but what the data means. That's a much more interesting and valuable argument 
to start talking about, well, no, I think the patients are doing this or the doctors are doing this or the nurses are doing this because of dot, dot, dot. Well, I've got data that, you know, that's a really interesting conversation to have about how we're going to change behavior and how we're going to, you know, how we're going to drive change as opposed to your data's wrong. Uh, my uh, my data says this, and your data, that's 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 just it, it just you know it, it's a wasted hour. You'll right. never get it back. Right. Well, fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us. And if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, George at ReynoldsHCA.com. Sounds great. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. Okay. Have a my fantastic pleasure. rest of the day. You too. Thanks. So there where you have it, Dr. George Reynolds here at the Click Healthcare Analytics booth, twenty eight sixty five at HIMSS 2018. And it really has been uh, uh, interesting to go around and talk to some of the data folks and look at some of the reporting and systems and how they're building them. But what I've found, especially in my career, trying to build some of these reporting things is, <laughs> maybe I'm getting a bit old, but it sure advanced a whole heck of a lot and so much easier with some of the tools like Click to actually create really valuable analytic tools by people who may not be quote unquote data analysts. So um, definitely something worth looking at. And uh, we're looking forward to our next guest, which will be Rob McKay. And we'll see what he's gonna bring to us here. But in the meantime, I'd also like to talk a little bit about uh, the, uh, the Pink Sox tribe. And as you know, I'm a member of that. Greg's a member of the Pink Sox tribe as well. Um, we had a great meetup. Uh, when we first came in to Las Vegas, uh, about a, well over 100 of us, I understand there are now about 30,000 people out there who are gifting, connecting, and trying to make a difference in healthcare. It's funny, just about everywhere we go now, we see somebody. And I'm now being joined in the booth by the man himself, at Two Health Guru, <laughs> Mr. Greg. Masters. Masters. Hey, Welcome Fred. To the, the live from Hims. Live from Hims 2018, third year in a row that we've done this now. Prior two years, Conversa Health hosted us. And of course, we launched in 2013 at Hims New Orleans. Right. Under the banner of the predecessor brand of Health Innovation Media, which was uh, the Health Innovation Broadcast, Broadcast Consortium. Consortium. Yeah. Right. And uh, we had a some founding members, Alex Fair at MedStarter, Nate De Niro, who was then with the uh, Open Affairs TV. And uh, in the back end was uh, Leonard Kish. He was actually doing the production. Oh, good. So our next guest is here. I will bow out. Well, fantastic. We'll get, maybe we can get you back in for some of your insights of four years of change, Greg. So thanks so much. Hey, Rob. How are you doing? How are you doing? Yeah, Fred really good. Goldson. Great. Nice Glad to, to have you here. Thanks for having me. Love the accent. This is going to be great in this <laughs> podcast and on video. So tell us a little about your background and where you're from. Uh, we're from, uh, I'm from Australia in Brisbane. So we've got a, um, we're an elite click partner in, in Australia. So we have um, 50 people across Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. Um, and yeah, we do a lot of healthcare analytics. So um, probably 60% of our business is in, in the healthcare space. So we love, uh, love the click product. Great. And what sort of analytics are you doing in the healthcare space? Um, I suppose it ranges from clinical stuff, operational stuff, financial financial stuff. So it's um, yeah, very very much a, a range across the spectrum of, of healthcare. I suppose started off a lot in the financial space. So um, identifying unbilled revenue, um, mm -hmm. you know, all the way through to predicting length of stay for a 
for a patient. So all, all using Click as the as the front as end the, application. As, yeah. And um, obviously, are you doing this for hospitals or yeah, uh, provider yes. groups, insurers? Yeah, yeah. So Click is unbelievably prolific in Australia <laughs> um, in, in the healthcare market. So hospitals. Um, so there's enterprise licenses for Click uh, in three of the big state hospital systems there. So you know over a couple of hundred thousand licenses there. So um, wow. you can imagine that access to the software and licenses is not a barrier. So um, you know we spend a lot of time just trying to drive drive adoption and and you know push push stuff out there that's that can be easily consumed by by a range of people. So. And and right, you talked about you know different data sets and things like that. Yep. The simplicity of it. What do you? How, how does that work? How does the system within Australia work from a perspective of operations? Is it similar to the United States? Or? Yeah. I mean, there there's a hell of a lot more private in in America. So it's a lot more it's a lot more public focused system in a, in Australia. So I suppose the um, it's activity based funding. So you know you get get paid, you get revenue as a public hospital for. Each each time and so like a fee for service model. Yeah, correct. Correct. So um, I suppose moving more towards a population based uh -huh. funding model, which is you know I think a little bit where the US uh, US are going. Um, but yeah, I mean definitely similarities in terms of the problems and challenges that mm -hmm. that that people are trying to trying to um, have a crack at. And so you know it's interesting because I talk to people from around the world. It's always great to say, well, what sort of things are you working on? Because sometimes you know, for example, you can find ideas that were done in Africa or in India that you say, wow, I could apply that here. What are some of the unique things you're seeing Click use for within uh, the Australian healthcare system? Definitely, yeah, so I, I suppose a few standouts for, for us. There's a um, uh, Gold Coast Hospital Health Service, which is one of the big ones in, in Queensland, are using, um, using Click um, uh, in a guided analytics fashion. So uh, I suppose um, really for for clinical users to go in there and manage their day-to-day -day operations. So, um, you know, out outpatients, waitlist or ambulatory in the US markets and elective surgery waitlist is a big problem in Australia. So it's a growing waitlist. Um, so they, they've, they've used Click to really drive down those waitlists. So say for ear, nose and throat specialty, over an 18 month period, they've taken the waitlist from 1600 um, down to um, below five, so wow. unbelievable results. But it's, it's just giving the information, the data to mm -hmm. the clinicians in an, in an easy to consume way to drive behavior change. And I didn't yeah. ask you, but what's your background? Uh, I'm a physiotherapist, so uh -huh. um, yeah, that, that kind of went, couldn't, couldn't handle uh, the clinical practice of it, so clicked over to IT and data, it seemed to be a, a, a growing industry. So. so you brought your healthcare expertise into the IT side? Yeah, yeah, 100%, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, so I think um, it, it, it certainly helps in terms of having a conversation with hospitals and providers, you know, Absolutely. to be able to kind of communicate to them on a, on a similar level. Yeah, and you understand backside of what that data needs to be telling these people you know they're out there working with it but if you don't understand healthcare you'd be pushing all the wrong stuff for sure I yeah. mean de definitely um, don't pretend to know everything in healthcare uh -huh. and we sort of um, we make sure that we have clinical partners on the client side that really drive um, what what we do as well because e each specialty or each area is quite unique so um, but yeah can talk the talk uh -huh. yeah. And the group you work with, how big are they? Yeah, so Aginic is um, about 50 people across yeah. Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. So, And um, it's a complete IT shop using Click? For yeah, well, so, so we, we work with 
any any tool. So, but we work a hell of a lot with Click um, mm-hmm. because of the decisions that have been made. You know, in terms mm-hmm. of purchasing. And so, you mentioned so. a little bit, touched on it. We really haven't gotten into it very much in this uh, yesterday on some machine learning and predictive stuff. You mentioned at least predictive analytics. Yes. So what yeah. sort of stuff are you doing with that? Yeah, so uh, a big pediatric tertiary facility in Queensland um, came to us with a problem or a challenge. Um, so a lot of their, um, they have a high um, number of patients that stay a really long period of time in hospital and consume a huge number of bed days. So they asked us to come in and try and predict a patient's length of stay or an estimated date of discharge just so they can uh, action some developmental pathways or clinical pathways to help minimise the, um, the, you know, the, uh, the impact of those types of patients. So yeah, we, we've built them a, a predictive model in using R, so which uh-huh. is a statistical package, yeah. and then we push the outputs through into Click. Um, and that sits on a, on a tablet in, in, in the wards and um, the nurses interact with that as a patient arrives in an inpatient bed. Um, they enter in the MRN or unique patient identifier uh-huh. and it predicts the estimated data. It discharge. then runs it up against that statistical analysis Correct. you did in R, feeds it back to Correct. them and says here's the estimated. Yeah, so I mean it's really exciting from a click point of view to have that R integration, the service mm-hmm. side integration. I think it's going to be um, yeah, fantastic going forward. I think we're, we're getting a hell of a lot more um, sort of um, questions or requests that are that are a little bit more advanced, you know, uh-huh. not so much kind of core foundation. And do you have stuff. a sense of how big a data set you used on the backside for that R project? Yeah, so it's, it's about 120,000 records, so uh-huh. encounters, yeah. um, you know, across over 100 variables or, or data points. So, yeah, statistically it was And it fairly was good valid. predictive uh, yeah, so it's 80, 80% to within a day and 56% to within an hour. So Excellent. Yeah, we're pretty happy with that. Oh, yeah, I'm sure the you yeah. yeah, I'm sure they are too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, hosp- yeah. the hospitals yeah. really like that. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. How long did it take you to, to get that scaled up? Um, well, was a lot, a lot of time, I suppose, with any of these predictive things. Yeah, that's it's, a big it's, one. It's building the foundations in place, you know, connecting all of their source systems together, so ED theaters, outpatients, you know, making sure that it's a consistent data model. And then after that, the, the actual model building is not mm-hmm. not, not too long. Uh, but I suppose with any of these things, it's just continually training uh-huh. the model on new records and new encounters. So, and I'm sure yeah. once you've done that for that use case, someone would probably come back and say, hey, I got another one for that kind of a thing. Yeah, definitely. So I suppose the, um, the future plans for that is um, how can that help in terms of resource management, capacity planning, bed uh-huh. management, forecasting, financial revenue. Right. So if you've got a runway for you know how long a patient's gonna stay for, then you can start to do those sort of planning things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's exciting. That really is, that's a great example of that. Yeah. And do you see anything in the United States that sort of you find interesting, or, or, or better yet, let's sort of think, what excites you about analytics now, where and where it's going? I think I'm, um, really excited about, uh, I suppose, from a healthcare point of view, um, trying to embed more of the analytics in the workflow of clinicians. So uh-huh. really excited about the connector to Cerner. Um, uh-huh. I, I think that's going to be that's going to be amazing. There's right. a lot of Cerner hospitals um, in Australia. So we're um, really excited about the possibilities of being able to use that um, Cerner data, you know, in terms of sepsis prediction or uh, readmission prediction. But making sure that we're not taking the clinician out of their workflow into another system, it's just right there and there yeah. for them to, to leverage. 
Well, that's great. It's always exciting to meet someone who's really excited about data, as I can hear in your voice and using it and figuring yeah. stuff out. Yeah. And obviously with your physiotherapy background, you bring that unique perspective into it. Sure. Um, do you see one last question? Do you see anything different between how the United States is sort of doing things around data and analytics versus Australia, or are they sort of thinking the same way? I think it's um, it's it's fairly consistent. Uh, I mean, I suppose what what we're finding or what we're doing a lot of is um, is building web-based environments, so web web hubs, as opposed to a client or consumer interacting with a ClickSense hub or whatnot, where we're building them a, a, a portal or a hub that, that contains everything, but from a user point of view, you don't even know that that clicks that in clicks the background. sitting there doing, running all the stuff. Doing all the awesome stuff. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I think there's, the click guys are pretty close in terms of, um, you know, Australia and US, and, you know, they obviously keep keep, keep each other informed of stuff. So, um, yeah, mate, pretty, pretty consistent um, approach. Um, I think the, what we found is the, design is so important so we employ designers you know mm-hmm. UI designers which kind of guide the look and feel of our, of our stuff and Excellent. Um, yeah that seems to drive some pretty good adoption and usability yeah and that's something that people don't have to think about that UI then again for that end user is also critical for sure as you build these platforms out so yeah, great yeah, yeah. point yeah for sure great point for sure. well thank you so much for joining us no worries. Today, Rob. and how long are you here in the me. states yeah I'll be gone on Saturday mate Saturday so, and how yeah. long a flight is that it's uh, it's a long way. So, <laughs> it's yeah, a I long think I'm way. only just getting over the jet lag after three or four days. So, oh wow, yeah, it'll well, be good. Again, thanks, thanks so us. much for coming in and talking about Click. Really Cheers. appreciate it. Great insights. That was fantastic. So again, this is uh, Fred Goldstein with Health Innovation Media, and we're live from Hims 2017 at the Click booth. Have a seat, Eric. Great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. So I'm Fred Goldstein. Fred, I'm Eric nice, Nelson. Nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you, Eric. So tell us a little about who you are and uh, what you do. Uh, I'm Eric Nelson. I'm a CTO for a company called the SSI Group. Uh-huh. Uh, we're a revenue cycle provider, um, and uh, we uh, work in the provider and the uh, payer side. Uh, we have some 1,800 hospitals that use our solution today, uh, wow. primarily in the area of claims management. and. Uh, they, we connect to 1,200 payers, so we're the clearinghouse as well as the claims management front end for them. That connects into the likes of uh, um, uh, Epic and Cerner, uh-huh. as well as many other. And uh, so, all on the financial side of the healthcare we're transaction side. side. Yeah. Got it. And are you, and your analytics tool uh, is ClickSense on the front end, uh-huh. uh, and uh, we just recreated, uh, re- rebuilt, and redelivered our uh, analytics uh, solution uh, this year. Um, it comes out, we have over a petabyte of data that we take through a enterprise data warehouse that's in a sharded format. So we have an ETL, a transform, and a UI layer. And then we take that into ClickSense and use that to build uh, the front end on. And how long have you been using ClickSense? Uh, I've been using Click, uh, this is my third company. Uh, <laughs> so since they, uh, before they went public, I don't even know what year that was, but it's been at least uh, eight, nine years. Wow. So it's and in my tool bag. And, and when you say it's in your tool bag, why? Uh, it's uh, time to value is high. So, you know, you can create an application and be in market, you know, in 90 to 120 days and uh, uh, brings a lot of value and uh, they've been a good company to work with as well. That's great. And so what sort of things are you doing with the Click tool to make your systems better and process better? Yeah, so better? one of the things that we're doing for our um, uh, providers is giving them 
analytics about their claims data that they hadn't had visibility in before with the Click technology. And uh, that does things like we're able to layer on uh, industry KPIs with their data and they can see how they're performing in a single uh, KPI page. Uh -huh. uh, and they can then drill down on that and uh, look for outliers. They can uh, uh, look at uh, payers and do uh, matching. And uh, they have a lot of capability at their hand. And then uh, from the KPIs, they can go an overall, uh, what is their claim volume? What's their dollar value? What's their denial rates? What are they getting denied on? And then if they want to do research, if there's uh, particular drug therapies or other procedures that maybe they're not, uh, they're getting denied more than others, then they can go do research on what, what it, what's causing that. And uh -huh. then uh, what I really like, as uh, we just introduced, the ability to actually click through uh, the Click Sense Analytics back into our application. So if they drill down all the way into a particular patient, they can then now click and go back into our application and see all the details. See the original data instead of? Yep. Wow, fascinating. And can you give some examples of some unique uh, outcomes or improvements in process by using? Well, you're right, obviously able to see uh, where you stand to uh, industry benchmarks. Mm -hmm. um, you're also able to see you know, where you're, uh, one of the big things we do, obviously we're on the claim side, so we look at uh, you know, what is being returned as a remit and payment mm -hmm. uh, versus what they build. Match so we can up. see the difference, yeah. and as you know, Healthcare today is what you bill isn't what you get paid. Right. So it's just, uh, there's a big area of uh, the you know uh, ability to drill down and see what what's going on there, uh -huh. and then we're able to then match that up to the contractual uh, uh, rates that they have. So typically, a provider will contract with a payer like Blue Cross, and then they'll have set procedures. We can tie that back in as well. Mm -hmm. And I would assume that because it's sort of you know, it's not, hey, I'm running this report every three months, but I can look at stuff now. You can actually get much better sense of, hey, my payments are slowing up, or That's I gotta get a hold of these people and get that check in, the that, checks in here, that kind of stuff. Right, you can see historical trends as well as where you're at today. Uh -huh. um, and what's nice about that is you can see, you know, my doing better or worse, where is it at? You know, many of our uh, uh, payers or providers are multi or integrated delivery networks with a lot of facilities, so, is it by facility? Is it by particular um, uh, procedure type? What, what's going on? Or is it by payer? Mm -hmm. You know, one payer might be paying better than another. Or is there a contra contractual issue? Mm -hmm. So all that's available to you. And are you beginning to see this transition to value-based reimbursement? Some of those new models coming that through the correct. systems as well. Yeah. So we've gone from fee-for-service to value-based, uh, and we can give the full visibility of that as well. So they can actually see here's the bundle and what's coming yep. in and how that worked compared to what the other data they have that is correct. in the system. And and within that, are they linking in their utilization and cost data of that service as they deliver it in the hospitals and stuff and beginning to pull that together That too? is correct as well. So we can see, you know, pretty much any, primarily around the claims data, we can we have that complete visibility. Uh -huh. And we're now beginning to layer in more clinical data as well. So oh. we do have uh, clinical capabilities uh, to be able to bring the two together and match them up. Mm -hmm. One of the exciting things we've got coming up is uh, one of the big questions our customers ask the hospitals is, where is my remit? Basically, when will you be paid by the provider? So mm -hmm. we're now looking back using machine learning through Click and uh, uh, being able to forecast when they're going to get paid, right down to, you know, you're going to get paid at 2 o'clock from Blue Cross for this amount based on historical averages. So you've created that predictive model to tell them when they get paid based on a fairly, I would assume you have a fairly substantial data 
database in the back that you that run in that analytics Yeah, for that hospital, we have all their records. We look at you know multiple years, uh, and we can then... And then you say, oh, it's payer, Blue Cross of so-and-so, here's what they're... Exactly. So they're going to pay... The, we'll deliver a confidence rate. So right, with right. a 90% exactly. confidence rate, you're going to get paid at 2 o'clock on Tuesday. That's, that's fascinating. And um, putting together a system like that, how much effort and time does that take? Uh, it is, you know, it's an enterprise scale application. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we have um, 1,800 customers that uh, connect to 1,200 payers. So we have a lot of data. Right. Over a petabyte of data. So, um, and, uh, you know, we then created uh, an enterprise data warehouse that we bring all that together in uh, that's uh, sharded. So we have an ETL, a transform, and a UI layer on the, on the data warehouse and take that into click. Mm -hmm. All that took us about nine months to rebuild all uh -huh. So, And are you seeing any other uses of predictive modeling or machine learning within, oh, it's, within your other revenue stuff? That's oh, what yeah. I'm wondering. Um, what might some the, the use cases be? Uh, well, the biggest one for us was the customers call us, uh, number one question we get is, "Where's my? when will I yeah, get paid? Right. So, that, so, so that we're one beginning got, to answer yeah, that. Yeah, so that one you're getting answered. That's key. Uh, the other one is, is, you know, doing more predictive analysis on denial rates. That's what I was wondering. Likelihood of denial. Right. You know, so we are we, we haven't delivered anything there, but you know, it's but we're no, working on. But it. that's something you could ultimately build oh, yeah. off that funnel. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. There are some other areas you could then take this. That's so correct. what might those other areas other be? Thing, and then the other thing we're looking at is, you know, when you have a claim and you look at the denial rate or you're looking at the payment, that's a snapshot in time. Being able to look further up into the uh, process, all the way up in the front end with access, well, eligibility. You know, ability to pay, and then being able to deliver that across the, the care continuum. That's the other thing that we also have solutions for that. So we're mm -hmm. going to take uh, the analytic capability and drive it further upstream as well. Mm -hmm. And how large is the organization you're with? We have about 400 people in our company. Um, we provide uh, revenue cycle solutions for uh, you know customers in the United States today, and mm -hmm. we've got some 1,800 facilities, uh, 1,200 payers that we connect to our clearinghouse. Yeah. We process a million transactions a day, uh, 680 million a year, uh, with a claim volume uh, worth over 1.5 trillion on an annual basis. So, it's a big enterprise uh, operation. Absolutely, that's huge. What What do you see out there now in data and analytics that excites you? Well, I think machine learning is uh, interesting. Um, the other thing we're working on is you know geo analytics. So, uh -huh. uh, there's a lot of data there. Obviously, uh, what's the what are the um, you know, where are the patients at, where's the providers at, and so how, how do we match those up? would you be using geoanalytics on the revenue cycle manager? What would you be looking well, at where, in that case? Well, you know, so every facility, all the hospitals, private or profit, uh, do advertising. they got to figure out where their customer bases are at, where they expand to. You know, it's a, it's a very dynamic market for healthcare today in the in the hospital space. Would you potentially be using that, say, to identify likelihood of self-pay, paying their bill, or something like that? That is correct. That? We could do that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, we haven't done that yet, but that's, no. But that's, an interesting one is you start obviously mapping. Well, we can look. We can then we can layer uh, demographics on top of that, yep. right? So we can say this zip code has a higher prevent, you know, higher. Uh, per capita income than this zip code. Mm -hmm. so. Any other unique data elements you think you might be pulling into some of your systems in the future? Um, well, we have a lot of work to do on claims data, driving that further up with our access data. Uh -huh. uh, that, that'll keep us busy for a little while. <laughs> uh, bringing in the geo-analytics, that, that'll uh, also... That's fascinating. Uh, that's going to be fun. Uh -huh. um, and then uh, providing more value. So uh, we're just beginning on the machine learning. Uh, I think right. as most everybody else is. but. Uh, uh, it's exciting times. That's neat. And what are some of the basic 
you know, if you were going to the hospital and saying, here's why you need to do that, I mean, there's some simple answers for it. You know, but what, what you one of the things that I think I found talking to our customers, once we, you know, we re rebuilt this, relaunched it last year, and many of the hospitals said, well, we already have that data. And then I showed them how they could get everything aggregated together. They said, we could get, we have all that data, but we can't do it as fast as you just did it. So that was actually a aha moment for me was, is we've been able to put this data together in such a way that it provides a, a lot of value right up, you know, from the moment they open it up. Right. And uh, a lot, they, you know, use cases there are uh, everything from where's my cash flow for today to, you know, my denial rate. I mean, there's a lot of use for the systems that we built. I mean, it's become a critical issue because, you know, so many healthcare systems are running on a razor's yep. edge or below. In well, many you can't cases, improve you know. what you can't measure, right? Right. So that's important. Yeah. Well, fantastic. I really appreciate your time. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much for coming over here. And, um, We'll, uh, all really, set? yeah, we're all set. Thank you. That was great. Very insightful stuff, actually. Right. The revenue cycle management is not an area we had touched a lot on earlier, so this is really interesting. And, well, terrific. And uh, what was the name of the company again? Uh, so, uh, it's uh, the SSI Group, uh -huh. and we're uh, based in Mobile, Alabama, with uh, offices all throughout the US. And, and if they wanted to get a hold of you? Uh, I'm on the website, at, uh, on the corporate website. And the corporate website is at? Uh, SSIgroup.com. SSIgroup.com. Thank well, you. fascinating. Thanks so much for stopping okay. by and talking to us about Click. Appreciate it. All right. Great. So, uh, another interesting use for the application, obviously, and that an area that I was a little more familiar with back when I was running hospitals, but uh, now as I've moved more into the population health and the data analytics area about that, but interesting to look at how they also are using some of the machine learning tools, which has become just the hot topic here at HIMSS and, uh, and elsewhere in healthcare, and some of the unique ways you can apply that those uh, statistical tools to uh, to a specific problem you have, and also, you know, I hadn't really thought about the idea of geo mapping associated with uh, with revenue cycle management, but there are clearly some abilities to to provide better information and make better decision making by applying and adding that data source to your um, revenue cycle data and claims and billing and all of that. So again, another neat area. And it looks like Greg is going to join us back here in the booth. And what I'd like to ask you, Mr. Masters, is you said four years you've been doing this. What do you see this year at Hims? Is it different? Is it the same? What's got you fired up? Well, I don't see the death of health, health information technology systems at any time soon. <laughs> as I think you said earlier today, particularly with, you know, as we talk value-based health care, population health management, you know, it's data, 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 and then it's the analytics layer bringing it to the point of care, so uh, uh, the point of decision making in the care continuum. So, uh, but you know, it's interesting. Each year, at least going back to, uh, I think, 2010 mm -hmm. in Orlando, possibly Vegas. Can't might have got my. Uh, so I think it's eight years now that uh -huh. I've been coming to him. So I know people have been doing this 20, 30 years. Yeah. Right. You know, Matthew Holt. Right, uh, James Harrison Khan. I mean, uh, staples here. But you know, every year there's a theme, mm -hmm. and uh, it seems to be uh, it seems to be this year is uh, precision medicine, population health, analytics. You know, so I don't know. We're in the, a sea of vendors here. We're all uh, you know uh, selling their wares, which is uh, which is how this uh, eco ecosystem works. But um, I don't know. Let me let me turn it around to you. I mean, 
in past years, it's been accountable care. It's been, you know, uh, right, right care, right time, right patient, you know, precision uh, de delivery. Oh, so let's, uh, I got to swap out that bag. Okay. But, but let me turn it around and ask you, uh, what are you seeing that caught your attention here and contrast that somewhat with uh, maybe prior years experience yeah I mean I think I'm seeing a lot more of this uh, this hey we're pulling more data together you know interoperability data liquidity but um, and maybe I don't quite see as many booths that have this blazing sign that says we do population health as you used to see in the past but there's sort of a settling down of some of this although there are just tons of vendors and so trying to differentiate yourself in this sea of, uh, of HIT companies that go rows and rows, you could walk miles through this place um, to keep up with it. And uh, I do think you're seeing a little bit more of this concept of the individual or the patient or the person and what, how you work with them. And it's clearly also been a move towards distributing this data and trying to get it out to the ultimate user or to the person who's sitting there that needs to be making that that management decision on that floor or in that clinic versus, hey, we've got this giant data system and it's all tied up at the top. So I think there's a, you know this, this move towards getting this data distributed. There's still some questions about it as to who controls it. Um, but it's interesting to try and see what some of these tools actually look like for the end user versus, I think some people have thought through that concept very well. And as we heard um, from Rob McKay with Agenic, they look at UI as part of their delivery platform of using Click, and then they look at the UI to make sure that the individual actually um, can react with that system and use it and be efficient. And that's um, clearly something you're starting to see more of there's a little bit less of this, hey, here's the table, go at it. Um, so I have seen some examples that I think sort of overdo the presentation in terms of the way they're showing their analytics. I happen to see one that was just a social determinants analytics by one of the big EHR vendors that, that was showing a breakdown of where their risks were. Was it food insecurities? Was it transportation? And they had made a the way they had displayed it just was not very useful in terms of really being able to use it. So I think that's an area that probably still needs some work. Some have been better at it than others. But it's been it's been good going around and looking at some of these products. And what's also been interesting is as you've been listening in on this, this discussion we've had with the Click folks, is that those people actually using it find it very simple, which I remember trying to do data analytics work back in the day, and it was not always the simplest thing to take your data and put it into a usable format. And it certainly wasn't simple to try to link up multiple data sets unless you were a data scientist back then and really able to work with that. And it seems to have changed quite a bit. Yeah, I yesterday apparently got this raving fan from the Ohio State University Clinical The Ohio State the University. Ohio State University Clinical Faculty Practice Plan who was just, just unscripted, unprompted, just a raving fan of the technology, yeah. and primarily for the e the, the ease of the uh, the adoption. Right. And I think he said there was no training yeah. required. Yeah. He just right. pushed it out there, and the staff started using it on the floors, etc. Right. The clinics. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Pretty amazing. So yeah, social determinants, population health, access to the underserved, 
Yeah, I would say social determinants has picked up a lot here from right the past years. A lot of people are talking about it. They're showing some systems that are integrating that data in. And then the question really becomes, in my mind, from a provider perspective, would, are the providers ready to use that data yet? And there are some, clearly, that are considering it. You're seeing, uh, for example, uh, there's some clinics now in South Florida that screen, they're for seniors, they screen every one of their patients for food insecurity. And not only do they screen and say, this person has an issue with food insecurity, but they've actually integrated with the food banks and have food at the clinic, and they give them the food to leave when they finish their office visit. So they're solving a social determinants of health issue right there in the office by, uh, by one, surveying for it, and two, actually providing the service instead of saying you need to go out, there's a food bank, or go try to find a way to sign up for food stamps or something like that, they solve it right then and there. So let's fall back to some of the comments we heard yesterday from, uh, for instance, uh, Kavi Safavi at uh, Accenture Health, Rastush Resta, UPMC, and um, two seated thoughts that stayed with you today from, from the conversation yesterday. What comes to mind? Yeah, I think the one from uh, Rasu is the, uh, the uh, whole thing about culture, you know, and trying to work through the culture to create an environment of innovation and recognizing that that can require some thinking changes. You have innovators who are saying, go, 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 and people who have said, wait a second, you know, we've always done it this way, we need to keep doing it this way. And you have to balance that and, and bring that through. He also was clear on his, uh, the concept that you need to get the frontline people involved in this stuff early, right at the start, and not bring in a system and say, here it is for you. Um, so those are the two that I, I really thought Rasu got into. Let, let me let me share some yeah. about Rasu because uh, he has an interesting perch in the industry. He's both the chief innovation officer of the health system, including the health plan, but he's also the executive vice president of UPMC Enterprises. Right. So he's out there uh, you know, as an investor serving the marketplace, looking at innovation uh, from that perspective as well. And it's always interesting to me that the leadership that emerges typically from what I'll call legacy uh, medical staff organizations, you know, it's, it's usually the guy who's in the, uh, in the hospital, the pathologist, the radiologist, maybe some of these intensivists now. They're always tagged as uh, chief of staff or department director or medical director and the thinker, if you will, of innovation, what it looks like in a health system or a, health, or a provider-sponsored health plan. So Rasu is like everywhere. Right. I mean, the guy is super articulate. He's totally with it. Amazing perspective across the board. And you know, UPMC is is not an organically baked Kaiser Permanente per se. They've kind of been a fee-for-service federation, if you will, bought a health plan, merged with a health plan. Now they operate, you know, an academic medical center with a forward-leaning provider-sponsored health plan, and on top of that, incubating innovation plus managing the enterprise from an integrated delivery standpoint. So very interesting to see how they progress. The other thing that comes up is like advocate, you know, in Illinois, and they're all chasing either the Kaiser model or some variation of down that theme, whether it's Geisinger or uh, or uh, Intermountain. So, mm -hmm. just yeah. just I really appreciate Rasu's thoughts. How about Kaveh? Kaveh gave some great stuff too. Yeah, and the one thing that really sticks out with Kaveh is he kept coming back to the consumer, the patient. We've got to we've got to recognize that they're going to start driving this system. 
they're already doing it. You're either going to meet their needs or they're going to make you meet their needs or go somewhere else. And, uh, and particularly to, to begin to frame, change your frame of reference to say, what is it that they're asking for and how do they want to see it versus, um, versus doing a, uh, you know, a typical healthcare approach, oh, here's, here's our system, we built it, now go hit it as a consumer. No, I think he kept coming back. It didn't matter what the issue was to change your frame of reference. What is that consumer asking us to do? And let's start meeting that need. Definite consumer focus. And then he also muted somewhat. It isn't just about the payment model. Right. It's productivity and cost. Yeah. Right. And I thought that was kind of interesting because you did some global comparisons about even in systems where you have single pair, you've got universal care, this and that. There's always this sort of relationship between GDP and total cost of healthcare. And the spend is sort of just consistently above. Right, he said it was one to three percent in every country you looked at in the developing world. It was going up. And, you know, as I I mentioned to him yesterday when we were talking, he had, two years ago in Brazil, he had spoken specifically about it's the productivity of the workforce, and I think if I remember his slide correctly, he was showing how that productivity has never improved, but has in fact gotten worse over time in healthcare. And so we need to begin to identify those systems that can improve the productivity costs if we expect to control costs, and that may or may not be related to, as you said, a change in reimbursement models. It didn't really matter if it was bundled or fee-for-service if you haven't solved your productivity cost issue. It's going to be expensive either way. So a little insight I'll share with an unnamed large medical center complex. Uh, talking to a, a, a nested, if you will, innovation center, and uh, I, after her talk, I went up to her and I asked, I said, so what role does your innovation center have in essentially downsizing <laughs> right. your federation of member organizations, to incumbent, in some cases, trophy names in the health system sector? And she looked at me and says, uh, we have no role there. Our system is growing. And I mentioned to her, well, yeah, probably because it's based on a fee-for-service model that fuels more growth. But what happens when you capitate your providers and hospitals become cost centers, not the traditional revenue centers that they've been driving all this growth? And she looked at me and says, it's not our job. So, which is so interesting because everybody here is talking about innovation to make yeah. the system more efficient right. and higher quality. It's a triple aim, you know. Right. Yet, you have the head of an innovation center or one of the key folks at an innovation center saying that's not our job. Which, which I thought was interesting to say the least. Yeah, to say the least. And so there's clearly a disconnect there, and I think that's why. That disconnect is why we see Amazon, Berkshire, and J.P. Morgan coming together and saying, folks, we are going to innovate this. We are going to take some of these costs out. You know, it's been a number of years since the Institute of Medicine report came out that said 30% of healthcare was waste, fraud, and abuse. And it probably hasn't gotten much better. It certainly hasn't. And I know that we had originally thought, and it was interesting hearing this last night because even when I was at a dinner last night and... um, Uh, Bruce Greenstein was there from uh, the CTO for HHS and he said people typically have looked to the government to try to set the stage for that innovation and change to to drive the healthcare system 
and he said, I, that's not going to be us. It's going to be the private employers who are going to do that. It's going to be the Amazons who are going to drive this system. And I can tell you from my background experience over the last couple of years working with some of these very large employers, they are actively looking for solutions to do exactly that, drive that cost out of the system that we don't need. So there's clearly a disconnect still between the large providers and those people who are footing the bills as to what so their roles are. So if you take the 30% number against uh, essentially a three trillion spend, we're talking about 800 to 900 to a trillion of billion. Excess, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. billion of yeah. excess spend in, 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 in the ecosystem. So. You know, that's, that will be painful if ever there is a real ratcheting down to try and make it uh, more accessible. And as, and as I tell people, there are affordable. simple ways to do this, you know, and some of it, and also imagine what you can do with that 800 to 900 billion or a trillion dollars if you applied it to some other areas that we've talked about, some of these social determinants things, to where health really is created or not. And it's interesting, there's another interesting discussion around social determinants, which is, uh, a doctor from Kaiser has come out and said, I don't like the term because it's not determined that an individual in that community or exposed to that will absolutely end up with bad health, but it's a social influencer of health and we should go after those influencers, which is what it is. Where you live influences how, you, how your health will be. So it'll be interesting to see how, provide, how employers over time begin to drive this system because they really have, a number of them have said, enough is enough, we, we gotta do something. And if you think about something, even as simple as a bundled payment, I've, if you bundle a payment and you bill like some of these bundled providers do, which is one page, one line, one price, you end up with not needing very many billing clerks. Okay. And again, on the healthcare side, you don't need a bunch of people reviewing the claims. So it oh, looks I like we've got our next guest, guest coming up. Bow Jordan, come on in. Hey, it's nice to meet you. you Thank too. you very much, Jordan. Absolutely. Welcome to the show. We're here at the Click Healthcare Analytics booth, 2865 from HIMSS 2018. So, Jordan, you're with Click. Give us a little idea of your background and yeah. what you do for the organization. Absolutely. So, I've been with Click now for about 20 months, uh, and I work directly or kind of away from the product. I'm uh, data literacy. I'm the global head over data literacy, which is kind of a new and upcoming topic within the world of data and analytics. and and so I've been running this program since I started here. My background is a, uh, I like to call myself a big nerd. Uh, <laughs> my passion is mathematics, it's uh, analytics and data. And so when this job opened up, I jumped at it to take the opportunity to create this program. So it was actually fascinating to see you walk up and see data literacy on your badge. And you mentioned it, it's new and up and coming. Yep. I hear it all over the place Absolutely. now. So why don't you, you know, I've heard of health literacy, you know, uh, this. Tell me what data literacy yeah, is. Absolutely. If you think of the word literacy itself, mm -hmm. it's that ability to read and communicate. Well, essentially for years, we've been rolling out products and information across different software companies and, and of different industries, but we forgot the human element. So people do not go to school for mathematics usually or statistics. I ask that question often as I speak. But what we need to do is empower individuals to be able to use all the data that's being produced in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's what data literacy is. It's that ability to read, work with, analyze, and argue with data. And it's about not making everybody a data scientist, but it's about helping and empowering them to be able to use data in their jobs to be able to succeed in what is now the analytics economy. So how do you do that? Yeah, There are many different ways. I've, I've built a program and curriculum 
um, and, and courses that organizations take on that help people teach theory. It's not necessarily teaching people the mathematics, you know, X plus Y mm -hmm. equals Z. Uh, that bores people. That intimidates right. people. It's teaching people the theory around why you would ever use this type of analysis or this mm -hmm. sort of framework for your data. And we do that through courses. We do that through reading. We do that through many different channels to help empower people to do that. And that's supplied through Click. It is, and a lot of the, a lot of it is for free. A lot of the stuff that Click does in this realm, I have desired and and said I want it to be free, because if if you think about Click itself, it's a visual analytics software that people learn how to, to click and utilize and code to make powerful. Why don't we empower them um, at, a, at a goodwill? And so when people hear that there's not a lot of cost, that it's product agnostic, it's not just a click thing. I work with customers who don't even use click because they know the power of data. And so we're enabling everybody across the world, um, the program spans across the world, to teach people. So this. give me an example of the program, how yeah. it's delivered, maybe how one system used yeah. it or how you went Absolutely. into it. That'd be Absolutely. great. Absolutely. So the way that it usually starts, kind of the framework, in fact, I was asked this this morning for uh, one of our Click counterparts asked, how would you set this up? Yeah. So it usually starts with a discussion between me and an organization. I have a discussion talking about what's your data strategy? What are you looking to do with your data? From there, we go through a journey with data. So companies are trying to really harness all the data they're producing. So let's start a strategy within data literacy. So I'll sit there and I'll start through a conversation um, on what is their strategy with data, and then I build a strategy on data literacy. And the process to do that is we give them an assessment so an organization can assess their overall skill level. Once they've given in that assessment, each person that takes it will get a data persona, a data personality that shows where they reside on a scale of data literacy. From there, I have prescriptive training roadmaps for each data persona that they roll out at the organization level. And about six months to a year later, depending on what the organization wants, we, we reassess to see if there's an uptick in their skill level. And then we go from there and just keep reiterating until it uplifts them. So you know what you just explained in data literacy? That, that process you went through is the exact same process you go through in population health. Yeah. You identify your population, you assess them, exactly. you stratify them, figure out yep. where they are, you intervene, you measure yep. again, and go back at it again. Absolutely. So fascinating. So what sort of things are you seeing around data literacy? I mean, obviously Absolutely. when you go into an organization, you've got a huge variation, I yes. would assume, yeah. in, in, the, in that measurement. We do, and, and one of the biggest things I'm seeing right now, and because data literacy is so fresh, I get asked a lot, what yeah. kind of journeys have people taken? Well, most of them are at the beginning phases, yeah. but they're very excited because they want to use data, right? You look at the big companies that exist out there, and it's exciting to see what they're doing with data, but most people can't do it. One of the key things I'm seeing with data literacy right now is the advent and increase in the number of chief data officers that exist in organizations. I think that's one of the keys that is really helping data literacy flow through an organization is when leadership buys in. So one of the first keys I'm seeing often is a chief data officer. That chief data officer kind of sets the tone. An interesting stat I saw the other day on chief data officers is most of them are under the age of 40. Kind of showing that an executive position is going to some of the younger generation because they're more data literate, or right. more comfortable using that because they've grown up with it. Right. That's one of the most interesting pieces. I think people get why. They're seeing that, but that chief data officer is one of the most interesting things, right? It's popping up everywhere. So, 
the end of the day, it is about the interventions. What sort of interventions do you have? What are you providing to get those people more data literate? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the interventions come just from the first piece, the awareness piece. Um, so I've been traveling the world for about the last six months bringing awareness because the people are asking me, especially in healthcare. Between September and November last year, I think I spoke at eight different either healthcare companies or conferences. Wow. Because think about all the data that is being produced in healthcare itself. So the interventions itself really just start from the beginning point, not even from a grassroots movement, but a few people and the leadership understanding, we need this. So then we intervene with the assessments and things like that, helping them see that. And one of the keys to doing this is getting to the why of it all. I think historically we, with data, we're really pushing the how and the what. What being a click tool, the how you click here, but we missed out on the why. So intervening from a non-tangible perspective becomes infusing the why in everything that we're doing so that people understand it. And once they get that why, they kind of intervene themselves. They kind of put something in place that says, okay, I need to be accountable and take this on. And then that process just naturally And so evolves. are you providing education yep. around data literacy? Absolutely. Is it an online? Is it face-to-face? -face? Yes. How do you do these things? Yep. Or all of the above? All of the above. We okay. actually have multiple different channels that this is delivered through. Uh, we have online courses, and uh, those are that's where we have a lot of those are free, and a lot of them aren't. I'm pushing for all of them to be free, because that's the way I think it needs right. to be. We have online courses. We do have the skills assessment. We have websites. We have blog pieces. But we also have instructor courses, where um, I'm traveling right now the world training trainers. Training the trainers. To, training the trainers right. so that they can teach it, so that we can have people pay. So I have one company out of, out of Europe that has already uh, purchased 12 courses with me. Um, spanning across many different groups so that they can start this whole process. The company has, I think, two or 300,000 employees. And I get asked often, do you just start with everybody? And I say, no, let's start at a small movement, <laughs> get people excited right. about it, and then it flourishes out. Uh -huh. But yeah, absolutely, through everything. We have online learning, we have instructor-led courses, we have uh, the skills assessment, we have an academic program that is free at universities, trying to start at the ground level. Uh -huh. And then we have um, self-paced things, like I blog all the time, I'm on social media Got talking it. about it. Yep. Uh, a few webinars that have been launched where I discuss these things. And where's things. your blog at? Uh, Click.com backslash blog. You can go right in there, right look there. for Jordan Munmorrow under authors, or under topics you can select data literacy and get a ton of information about it. And at the end of the day, it's about outcomes. So Absolutely. are you seeing improvements in those literacy scores on the secondary assessments and things like that? So we're, so, we're so at the beginning of data literacy, to your point, it's kind of It's new, rate. yeah, it's but it's really new. exploding. It's exploding. And so, I yes, I have full faith that that's going to happen, but we're such infant stages right now with Got everybody. It. That ask me that again at next year's hymns, and I'll oh, have direct answers. Absolutely. No, that's fascinating. And, you know, I just can imagine that once you put in something like that, those end users, those people who are Absolutely. way out there suddenly are more comfortable. They, they begin to ask those why yeah. questions you talked Absolutely. about. And, and 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 you that light bulb goes off and exactly. oh wow, okay. Why so is we, that happening? And that creates a better and more efficient organization. Absolutely. Higher quality clinical outcomes or yep. or, or lower costs or whatever yeah. you're driving at. We have a website that we just launched, it's dataliteracy.info. And in there there's an app, a click app. We surveyed around at fifteen thousand people worldwide. 5,000 in the Americas, in Europe, and in the Asia-Pacific region. And what we're finding, you said it very well, only about one in five people in the Asia-Pacific and in the Europe region felt data literate. The U.S. was a little higher than that. But the majority of people don't feel data literate. But three-quarters of people felt that if they were data literate, they would have more credibility at their job. And of those who were data literate, over four-fifths of them felt they were performing well in their job. So you can see this transfer that not enough people are data literate, 
but those that are feel more comfortable, feel more empowered, and have credibility to make decisions and do things in their roles. So as you're thinking about, let's just take the U.S. market yeah. right now, how many healthcare systems recognize data literacy as something they need to be thinking about? I would actually say healthcare is one of the industries that has really kind of harnessed it so far. I spoke at you know the Adventist Analytics Conference, uh -huh. Optum's Analytic Conference, and those are areas that I think they've embraced the fact that data, if you think about all the data healthcare is producing, it's immense, it's everywhere. And so, I mean, we're at HIMSS right Yeah, now. oh yeah. It's, it's everywhere. Every but booth I think, is loaded. Exactly, and I think every, in, in the healthcare world, we're seeing that there's a grasp for it because it deals with human lives. So I think that act, that tangible piece that deals with humans helps drive it in even more. And when you're talking about the different areas where data touches within the healthcare, people really want data literacy, so they're making sure they're making the right decisions. I spoke with a doctor yesterday out of Sweden who attended a, a seminar that I did here at HIMSS, and he's like, I think you're gonna love this. This is what the next phase of what I'm trying to do, and it was digital and data literacy. Yeah. Helping educate people so that when you're seeing an x-ray or, or things like that, you're, you're, the data speaks to you, that you're able to make the correct decision a lot mm -hmm. easier. Fantastic. Any, you're obviously very excited about what you do, Absolutely. and it's great. You must be traveling all over Kingdom Come for this. <laughs> it's a great area. What, what do you see potentially coming down the road in this area? One of the key things that I think, if you study the industry right now, is that not everybody needs to be a data scientist. And I think for the longest time, that intimidated people. In my program and, and when I speak, I say not everyone needs to be even a data scientist. This is about data literacy. Mm -hmm. The next piece that's really happening is data storytelling. So positions are going to start popping up across industries where their entire job is to be in a data interpreter, data translator, or data storyteller. Having that ability to take complex data and tell the actual story around it, and if you think about that in healthcare, those stories drive decisions and outcomes. So let me ask you this: Are we going to see a business card with data storage? Absolutely, on it? absolutely. Wow, and you'll see it. You'll That's see it. Cool. I think I saw a number the other day that in the next ten years, two to four million jobs will be created around that data interpreter or data storyteller. The ability to drive business outcomes with numbers, having that person who can branch both sides. Because historically, a data scientist might not get the business side of things, and the business side of it definitely it doesn't get statistics. Having someone who can branch all of that is going to be a very impactful job. That's really great. Well, thank you so much Pleasure. for that, thank by you so Jordan. Much. That was one of the very interesting. Data literacy is awesome. Thank you very that much. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. So here we are at booth 2865, the Click Healthcare Analytics booth. I'm actually looking at some of the people who have dropped by. We've got Dr. Keita Nayar here and uh, Dr. Nick. I think we're about to be joined by a special guest here, the Dr. Nick. Special guest, did you say? Yes, absolutely. We're so <laughs> glad you stopped by. Good to see so you, man. It's good How to are see you? you. How have you been doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. Good, good. What's your thoughts of him so far this year? Well, it's the same craziness that we have every year, right? <laughs> exactly. How, how do you survive the... Uh, overwhelming nature of uh, what I hear is 47,000 people. Yeah, I think the numbers were unbelievable this year. Yeah, my, my 47,000 uh, of my closest friends. Um, and and you know every one of them, right? Of course. That's um. impressive. That's really <laughs> impressive. Well, there's something about badges that really helps with that, you know. They do. I take it off and suddenly nobody knows who I am. <laughs> <laughs> now then you can be the physicist or the astronomer or whatever yeah, all the right. other interest areas yeah. are, yeah, right? I, I could be the spaceman that the I always spaceman. wanted to be. Yeah. yeah, astronaut. That's great. So, what, do you, what is besides the craziness, are you seeing anything here that's new, exciting, got you interested? 
So um, I, I would call out a, a few things that I think are, are, are continuing themes. So yes. we've, we've seen them over the past in, in the course of years. So analytics is clearly a, a, a central uh, theme that has now really started to develop. I think we're seeing real innovation in the space that offers us um, value at the point of care. So I think mm -hmm. historically, a lot of the time, it was about reporting. Yes. Oh, great, I can apply some analytics. Hell, we could apply analytics to traffic. <laughs> it wasn't very interesting, but you know, it was useful. When you start to think about analytics at the point of care so that you can direct a patient to uh, a better outcome as a result of analyzing data, that starts to get exciting for the patient, it does for the clinician, and it does for the, uh, uh, the money bags in the back because right. it's saving money ultimately, because the earlier we intervene. So I've seen a number of innovations around that. I think there's lots of sort of um, relatively narrow, I don't want to sort of diminish the challenge of spreading that knowledge and insight into other areas. So what I, I tend to see is analytics for a specific purpose. But then when you try and translate it into something else, it doesn't always scale effectively. Right. So we have to sort of not start again, but it's still a, a, a fairly... A build, simple. kind of? Yeah. Um, so good example of that, um, identifying the invisible patient. So the patient that we know is out there, but hasn't been into my clinical surgery, and I haven't had a chance to lay eyes on him. But if he had, I'd go, holy smokes, we've got to do... <laughs> it, it's as quick right. as that, right. visually but they haven't touched it. Part of the reason for that, it's kind of interesting. One of the things I notice about patients is they don't notice the change. And the reason is it occurs over the course of time and they Absolutely. live with it daily. So I'll give you a classic example, this is a great one. So as my father was progressing through his Lewy body dementia, my mom and sister and brother who were out there would see it, but I'd come every three or four months or maybe six months and I would deal, oh my Absolutely. gosh, but they hadn't seen it. Yeah. It's so, so you're able to pick that up and yeah. identify those kinds and, of things. And that's exactly the problem. So, you know, you, when the patient finally shows up and you, you dig into it and you say, well, why didn't you come? They go, well, it, it didn't feel like it was a big check because it was never a big delta. It's all these small incremental changes. That over time was a big delta. over time was big, but individually you go well you know initially I used to be able to walk two miles then it was only a mile and a quarter and then you know and, and because it occurs slowly they don't so that's why we don't see them but if we can pick that up through the data have them show up now I've got an opportunity to do the medicine that I went to medical school for which is I want to play some interference can I prevent the disease from occurring yep. or the catastrophe typically or if I can't do that, can I at least mitigate it and reduce the impact so that they don't end up as a cardiac cripple or some, mm -hmm. you know, challenging clinical condition that's uh, chronic and, you know, absolutely impacted? We can find those patients before they touch, present them, and deliver better care and save money as a result of that as well. That's great. So let me ask you this, because when you say the invisible patient, it's interesting because they're invisible because they're out there, but they're invisible because the system has sort of let them be invisible. and how ready is the system to begin to say, hey, this is an idea we need to focus on. Are, you, are we getting to that point of transition where the provider's starting to say, I need help finding those invisible patients? So I think the fundamental issue that we have to have for that to be the case is to move from fee-for-service to yes. accountable care. Um, because 
if we're in a fee-for-service model, it doesn't matter. I just have to do things and I get paid. And right. people essentially work to incentive, not to diminish anybody's good intention, no, but also quality of their work, etc. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's just a, it's a pure fact of life. So as we move to that accountable care, and then suddenly everybody's responsible for the total picture, now suddenly there's huge incentive to be able to deal with it. And one of the things that I hear, and, and you know, the, the, the problem with that model is if you find those patients, you can't deal with the whole list. So it's a rank-ordered list. Right, and you, then want, you want to stratify them, and well, that way you can say, these are the ones I really need to get in today, and these I can give it a little more time. And, and, you know, the, Which the, is a typical population health approach. Right, but there's a lot of pushback on that because it's, well, how you, you've got to deal with these other people. And the reality is, if you can fix these ones, you're going to save money. It will leave more resources available to treat more people. Yes. And ultimately, that's better for everyone. It's classic um, physician behavior. That's what we do in the emergency room. We look at the patients, decide, go through a process of defining who are the most urgent cases, deal with them, triage. And, and triage. And this is no different. So this is population health triaging to get the maximum economic value and then ultimately start working down the stack. Right, it's a to move further thing. and further upstream. Right. Yeah, no, excellent. So um, any other areas in data and analytics you see that excite you? Yeah, so I, uh, that's a clear one. Obviously, I focus on that from a clinical standpoint. Right. And, um, but, you, you know, there's opportunities in all of this additional data. It's funny, one of the things I don't see as much, I know there's a whole hall, I haven't been into it, that's all talking about wearables. I think there's some potential there. One of the things that always bothers me is the idea that we manage people's blood pressure on a once-off basis. You come into my office, I measure it. Oh my God, it's high. We'll measure it one <laughs> little more little white coat oh, hypertension. Yeah, exactly. I have it. Do you <laughs> yeah, have it? Absolutely. absolutely. Every time yeah. they do it, I go, that's what I had at home. <laughs> so, you know, but on what planet do we manage blood pressure based on this single point measure? So the idea that we can start to measure it, and I, I, fascinating company that I came across. I don't know if they're here, but I, I, I've come uh -huh. across that is doing it on a, a, a trans uh, juicer that's in, in a watch, and they're putting it into a ring, a ring? which I really, really like. Uh -huh. Now we're measuring it continuously. Uses an algorithm and you know is measuring using laser light, same as we do with the pulse oximeter. Right. Um, now suddenly I've got continuous blood pressure. Well, not only is that a better measure, but wow, I can start to see the impact of when you go into McDonald's and have a Big Mac and you see a big rise in blood pressure, that's a instant, I'm not saying no, you necessarily no, do. No, I mean, that's a great thought. I, I got it, I got it. And that's sort of the whole thing I've sort of had an issue with about wearables is they've been a one-way data system. Right. And getting the feedback to yep. me how I want to receive yep. my feedback, but I can tell you, I, mean, I use an Apple Watch, I played with the Fitbits and all of them, and it's I've changed my behavior because of it. I've been using it and suddenly said, Got to get that done. Got, oh, by the way, I'm looking at my heart rate. Yeah, I want to get into that high intensity zone for at least this period of time. As I'm, and it's really gotten me to do some things because it's giving me stuff I want. It's yeah. telling me things I want. I, and you know, one call out from my specific focus, which yeah. is the incremental improvements. Right. It's the small thing. So the one thing you can't do is say, hey, here's all the things you've got to do. Right. It's impossible. We just get overwhelmed and we do none of them. So what you're getting is, hey, there's one thing you can focus on. Get your intent. Now you've done that. And, and then, then I do another. Right. And that becomes part of your normal behavior. And then they focus and, and keep moving. It's those incremental improvements that add up to Absolutely. the revolution that we need both in health and in healthcare. Absolutely. That's great. 
What are your thoughts around some of the stuff going on out here in machine learning and some of those newer newer ones? So I think you know machine learning, um, deep learning. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of confusion around that. Those are all. There's an interesting Venn diagram that actually describes all of yes. that and puts it into to, to the context. So all of that I would I would put into the the area of um, artificial or augmented intelligence and, and the opportunity to learn insights. One of the things that I know we as human beings can't do is with all this data we're going to miss things. I posted something just recently talking about diabetes and the fact that we're now seeing at least five different types. Yeah, there was just an article on that, right. five types of, ty of diabetes. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was interesting. I got into this whole exchange online with somebody that thought that, you know, that diminished the value because there are actually many more. And I agree with that. But again, to the point of incremental improvements, focus on that. And, and instead of having just one and two, now we've got five and we can segment that and focus on better strategies for those subgroups. It's, you know, moving towards this precision medicine. Of getting profile. to an end of one. Yes, right. exactly. Yep. Um, so that's one. Um, I, the other one that you know, I think has, has diminished a little bit today, so maybe it's on that little trough that we all know about, of, uh, is blockchain. Mm -hmm. I remain very pumped about it. I think the challenge, and I was uh, sharing this in one of the, the sessions that I was in, that the challenge with blockchain is explaining it. I agree completely. People don't understand it, so they, <laughs> they just move on. Yeah, and, and I understand that. I, I, I respect it. And, and I have struck, and one of the things that I pride myself in is explaining things at a level that anybody can understand. That's really you know, essential to successful implementations. And I can't do it successfully today with blockchain. I can't tell you how many videos and things I've watched on blockchain because I want to get it. Yeah. You know, and I keep doing it and do another one. I hear from another speaker and I've seen it, it makes sense, and now I'm saying, okay, now but I'm I'm stuck at a certain level of right. understanding of it and I need to move beyond that. So so I, I think one of the things that we need is examples. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be in healthcare. So that's one of right. the, the the areas again that I like to focus on. Can we pick some learning opportunities? And I'll, I'll pick an example that maybe will help you, maybe won't. Um, so there's a, a, an artist that is taking their music and put it in, a, 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 they're encapsulating it in a blockchain. And you go, why would you do all that? Well, here's why. What's been the problem with music? You know, you sold it as a vinyl LP. You can probably remember that. I know. Oh, I, can. I absolutely can. I still have them. <laughs> right, I do as well. I still got them. my first ever one. So. <laughs> and uh, what was it? I was bat out of hell. <laughs> All right. Meatloaf. I love meatloaf. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, in, in, and then, you know, we moved to cassettes and then CDs and, right. you know, you resold it and then you might use it for listening to, but then you use it in your presentation and you know does the artist and there was no compensation unless people tracked you down and there's all these mechanisms and it's just complicated so what they've done is encapsulated take a song you can buy that song on the blockchain you buy rights to it but if you want to use it for other things so you buy it to, to listen on your iPhone but suppose you want to use it in your presentation can you be bothered to go and get the right no but in the blockchain there's a smart contract that says hey if you want to use it for a different purpose you've here got to are, pay again here here is here are the terms yeah. it, it's this additional fee it's not exorbitant you know it's whatever the value is and the same if you want to use it you know in media in the television yes. media or whatever and now that creates a fully transportable uh, resource that can be shared but somebody gets compensated for the work that they put in appropriately and everybody can understand it because it's published and it's secure and you can also time value it so that it only lasts for a bit so 
I, I know it's imperfect, but for me, that starts that makes to sense. help. No, and I've, I've you know, had the folks come in and talk to me about the cryptocurrencies, and I've been to some of the big data meetups. They're presenting right. it, the analysis they run off the blockchain, yeah. all kinds of cool stuff like that. So it's it's fascinating. I think you're right. There, there are clear use cases in healthcare where it will make a major difference if we can get people beyond that right. understanding point. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, so that that's blockchain. What else is going on? So where where are we in terms of you know real future capabilities? I think VR, virtual reality, or I, my preference is augmented reality. I think mm -hmm. you know this insertion into you know a, a, a complete artificial realm is is too it's too big of a step. The incremental step is augmentation. So um, one of the, the companies uh, that I work for takes a surgical uh, presence and allows you to scrub in remotely. They've done that in countries like Syria, uh, the Lebanon, where there's you know very poor resources. But the beauty of that here in the US is we've got distributed people that live in remote areas. Could you provide that service yes. in a way? So I like that as a, allow me to in, in, interact and, and be involved and provide support. And the best mm -hmm. part of that is that it's this it's like a physician standing beside me that offers mm -hmm. me, hey, I, I've got to give you a little bit of guidance. I can't mm -hmm. remember what I was supposed to do. That, for me, very exciting. Love the opportunity uh -huh. to see some of that develop. I think that the full virtual reality and you know, Ready Player One, mm -hmm. if you're not going to see that, you should. Mm -hmm. Read the book first, though, okay. I would say. Um, it's still a little bit further away. I think Chuck uh -huh. Webster, one of my social media colleagues, is right. you know, he's really in there and he's really he exploring. And yeah. I think that's what we need is folks that really explore. That. Right, right. Yeah, in my mind, I'm really looking forward to being able to use you know, machine learning to get to, here's the message we need to deliver to that individual to get them to change their behavior right. and do X. You know, you missed your workout at seven, the wearable said you missed it, Right. but I've looked at your calendar, you're free at 7.30 night, and by the way, for me, your wife thinks you put on a couple extra pounds, you should go. And that would influence me. No, that that's might right, not influence right. somebody else, so but we, that's the kind of stuff. Did, did you just combine like five different technologies into one solution <laughs> that's really going to blow everybody's mind? There you go. There you go. Exactly. Well, thanks so much for stopping by. As always, it's fantastic seeing you. Always a Dr. pleasure. And uh, you're now, where are you working? So I'm working, uh, I have my own uh, strategic consultancy, Incremental Healthcare, right. where we focus on these small changes. Right. Revolution uh, through evolution. Don't let perfection stand in the way of progress. And your website is? www.incrementalhealthcare.com. There you go, www.incrementalhealthcare.com. The Incrementalist, the always amazing Dr. Nick. Thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Yep, Thanks. take care. Bye-bye. Fascinating. So here we are approaching the last half hour of the show, our next guest. Come on in. How are you? Hello, nice Gita. It's nice to meet you. Thank yes, you yes. so much for joining us here. How have you been? Good, good. Tired. Good. Walking a lot. Oh, I know. I can't imagine it. I've been sitting a little too much. I need to do a little bit of walking, but it'll come up soon enough. So, um, Give us a little bit of our audience, your background, sure. and uh, who you're working with, and we'll... Sure, yeah. happy to. So I'm the Chief Healthcare and Innovation Officer for Femwell Group Health. We're one of the largest MSOs in South Florida. And for those who don't know what an MSO is, would sure. you please explain sure. that as well? It's a mouthful. <laughs> so it's a management services so, yeah. organization, and basically we manage the back end for about 500 physicians in South Florida. Wow. I lead sort of our innovation efforts and a lot in health tech. My background is as a rheumatologist. 
Okay. Uh, I lead our patient engagement strategy, our telemedicine strategy, all of our mobile stuff. And I get to do all the fun stuff. So. so there's some really cool stuff we can get into, obviously, with that. You know, everything from the medical market in South Florida to you've got a very diverse community down there. How You talked about engagement, behavior change. How do you do those kinds of things? So as you look at innovation for an MSO, MSOs have sort of always sort of been that. Uh, it's just a back office function. They're filing claims and office scheduling this. What sort of things are you doing? obviously beyond that. Sure, sure. So we actually have a whole innovation arm. Our innovation arm yeah. is called Top Line MD. It's an it's a arm that I lead. <clears throat> and essentially we are doing all kinds of things from patient engagement to telemedicine um, to just making our life simple for both our doctors and our patients and really trying to meet our patients where they're at. That's fundamentally what we're trying to do. So what are some of the unique things you're pushing out through this innovation group? Sure, sure. So again, fundamentally believing that we are moving from a fee-for-service to a fee-for-value model and a value-based care environment, and how do we position our physicians to be right up front and center and be successful in that model? Uh -huh. So when we look at that, we say, you know, how do we how do we actually do population health management? How do we actually keep patients healthy? And what we realized, especially here at HIMSS, is a lot of people are selling analytics and dashboards, but what we feel is actually the last mile of that is the patient engagement piece. Uh -huh. right? So we've got the analytics. I know who the patients are that are at risk, but how am I actually engaging them? And so what we've done is we've really invested in a strategic partner that has helped us meet our patients um, from a mobile standpoint. So we literally identify our patients, risk stratify them, and then text so, them. So let me ask you first, because obviously this is great. Your first steps are obviously you're doing some analytics to determine those at highest risk, as you talked about, the typical population health-based approach. What sort of data sources are you pulling together to do that? Sure. I mean, every piece of data that we can, right? Whether it's the claims <laughs> data, whether it's... Um, uh, patient data, whether it's from the EMR, we're really pulling it together. And the way we kind of think about this is we think about pre-care, you know, what can we do to get our patients ready before they come see their doc? What can we do at the point of care? And then what we can do post-care, right? So if I walk right. you through that use case real quick. So pre-care, Fred, you've got, uh, you've got an appointment, right? We want to remind you that your annual appointment is due. Which um, I've missed numerous times, so <laughs> we gotta, yeah, go ahead. So you would get a text from our office saying, Great. hey, our top line MD doc, uh, Dr. Nayer wants to say, hey Fred, remember your birthday's coming up, it's time to schedule that annual, and you get a text, and you're Great. able to schedule the appointment, you're able to decline it, you're able to ignore it, it's really unusual. And I assume just touching on that, you then see a reduction in your no-show rates. Correct, correct. Yeah. And not just no-show rates, but patients that are engaged, I'm like, man, this is so cool, Dr. Nayer's texting me, feels kind of personal. Right? Oh, that's a so, great point. So, yeah, yeah you, you know, see for, for confirming, and hey Fred, make sure you bring your medication list in, don't forget that list of medications, right? And then at the point of care, I mean, we've all been handed that wonderful clipboard that we have to, and you're, and I'm guessing since last year, your name and date of birth probably haven't changed, right? So now we are again texting our patients and saying, hey, why don't you check in on the phone just like you do to, to catch your flight? And you're able to just, is all this information correct? Name, date of birth, um, insurance information. So we're, we're actually decreasing waiting room times awesome. as well. Where our patients are very satisfied. They're like, man, this is so easy. Uh -huh. This is quick. Um, they spelled my name correctly. My name is often misspelled. Uh -huh. There's no one better to fix that than me, right? To change it on my phone. And then, you know, and then also at the point of care, being able to do screenings, being able to um, get consents for procedures, blood So you mean care. I don't have to sign a consent form when I show up? You just have to. Every just dang time? <laughs> <laughs> Not if you have And read through the whole thing. Oh, gosh, I've seen this. Yeah. Oh, no, I checked this box, that I, box. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And you're doing all that in advance. We are, we are. And so then when we leave, let me ask you something about that too. 
you have a little bit more of an elderly population in South Florida than some other communities. How is that going over? Sure. So you'd be surprised, and, and actually, right. it's not just about the elderly, right? But these are the these are the most uh, this is the population that uses the healthcare system the most. Mm -hmm. So they're actually really looking for solutions that make their life easier, help them coordinate their care, right? Because they're often seeing their primary care doctor, their cardiologist, their rheumatologist. So when we text our patients when they leave our offices, we say, hey. Don't forget, Dr. Nair referred you to Dr. Smith. If you want to make an appointment, here's a text. Here's the and so you're proof that this stuff actually is being accepted and flowing in. Because I keep hearing yes. the, the excuse, oh, yeah. no, no, don't use that technology. Yeah. No, but they do. They do. And, and, and old people get it, too. And, yes, I, and I'm do. a rheumatologist, and I can say that with a lot of credibility. It's just a text, right? It's right. just a text. It's, it's not more than that. And I think when we ask elderly people, young people, to log into a portal, to remember a username and a password. I mean, I got like a hundred usernames and passwords, oh, yeah. right? And oh, none yeah. of them are for a portal. If I had to add that, oh my gosh. So it's, it's about making it easier and, and, and really putting the patient at the center. Yeah, I knew seniors were into it when my mother said, does my new phone have emojis? You know, and <laughs> she's 80 years old. Like, yeah, I got emojis on that. It better, it. you know. But yeah. And, and you know what? It's not just your mom. You just said, yeah. right? So you're, you're helping your mom. So it's the moms and the dads, but it's also the caregivers. The caregivers, absolutely. That are also able to get the text. And we're, uh -huh. we're engaging them just as equally as mom and dad, and it makes a difference. Okay, so then keep walking through this process now. Sure. So, so again, and you know, we talk about transitions of care, right? Leaving the hospital, leaving the outpatient office. You, you need your discharge somewhere, right? I think, you know, a big part of today's, uh, you know, conference is interoperability, right? We've been relying on vendors to make that happen. We've been relying on the government to make that happen. Why not the patient? Hey, Fred, here's your here's your discharge summary. Take it to Dr. Smith. You know, blue button, right? I yeah, think blue one button. Of the blue button. I mean, now, so we are actually, our, our vendors actually working with blue button now. So it's about taking it another mile and saying, hey, here's your record. Feel free to share it. Feel free to, I'm going to send you a text with this to make it easier for you to actually share it. And you be the, you be the interoperability. You uh -huh. be the interoperability. Great, great. So what have your providers thought of all of this? Our providers are, are actually embracing this and are saying, listen, we've been wanting this. Our portals, you know, our, 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 um, our enrollment and our portals are terrible. We've had our portals. They always are. Oh, yeah. Yep. And so, you know, if our patients are happy, our docs are happy. And they're, and they're really appreciating um, the invisible nature to this because there's really not a lot that has changed for the workflow of our doctors, right? Everything we're doing is patient-facing. Our patients are getting a text. There's nothing our docs have to do. Mm -hmm. There's nothing they actually have to That's do. That's great. Which is the best technology you can come up with. <laughs> exactly. And are there some newer things you're going to be doing with this with this technology or other technologies you're going to push out to sure, the patients? Sure, sure. So for us, we feel like this is really giving us a mobile connection to our patients, and it's just the beginning, right? So when we talk about gas and care, you know, what are my patients who haven't come in for their mammogram, their pap smear, you know, looking at that, particularly in a fee-for-value model, and how do we really get patients in to close gaps in care, but also build our revenue, right? We have to also help our doctor from a revenue standpoint, and why not help them help our patients and fundamentally be able to take this fee-for-service model into a fee-for-value model as a win-win. Right, and obviously that's been pushed pretty good in Florida. We're really starting to see that. You know, we've had these Medicare Advantage capitated providers, one of my good right. friends in St. Augustine, Global Risk, 23,000 patients, you know, for since 1999 has been doing it. And so, how are you seeing this help your providers transition to that? It's, well, that's exactly how we actually looked at our strategies. We said, what can we do to help them be successful in both a fee-for-service model and a fee-for-value model, right? Because we're not completely there. No, and that's where most people are struggling because they can't get it correct, going. You know, correct, correct. Yeah. So again, you, you know, we can rev up the system to get people to come in for their colonoscopies, their stress tests, just as easily we can get them in for their mammogram and their And improve your quality scores, you got to have your patients. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
And are you now beginning to look at using this? You talked a little bit about touching on chronic disease. I mean, we know, I used to always tell people, I had a, a doctor one time say, hey, Fred, I like what you do with your care management. I'm setting up an adherence clinic and I'm gonna have an adherence nurse in my clinic. And he called me up three months later, said they're not adhering to, adhering to my adherence program. <laughs> and I said, yeah, because you gotta, it's gotta be out there. They, you did everything right in the clinic, but they went out and you know they could for whatever was going on in their life, couldn't fill their prescription or whatever. Right, right. And so are you beginning to look at those kinds of interventions definitely, as well? Definitely, now that again, establishing the mobile, connected, uh, the mobile connection was really kind of the basic infrastructure. Now we can do campaigns, hey, it's flu season. Oh, great. Have you seen your dog? We really want to make sure you come in for your flu shot. Did you get it done somewhere else? Let us know, right? So even if they've blessed our network, we're able to say, oh, done. That metric is still done. We asked about the flu shot, patients said they went to CVS and did it, done. Oh, great. And I assume you're pulling in satisfaction, potentially, Absolutely. surveys and things like that, Absolutely. too. Which and people will answer them on a text or yeah. from their doctor saying, hey, let me know how I did. Oh, you probably get a higher rate of Absolutely. completion. Of, and I think about, you know, it, you, I took Uber last night. Of course, you hit the five star, you know, or the four, whatever it was. Right. But yeah, right away, you get it done. Well, obviously, with this, you do that as well. And I have heard that these types of systems used by providers get a much higher return rate. On, the, on it, and obviously the patients like it. They do, because that. it's meeting the patient where they're at, and they're always where their phones are. Mm -hmm. I know yours is somewhere around here, right? I actually <laughs> had to set it over there because I don't want it to ring and it's turned off. But you got it. I'm happy withdrawal. <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly. So, what do you see that's exciting you in the, in the analytics space and, the, and those kinds of things? Sure. So, I think, you know, analytics is the key, right? Because analytics is helping us identify the patients that need us, right? Uh -huh. Because we want to get to our patients before they get to the emergency room before they get to an urgent care. So really knowing and being able to stratify who are the diabetics that, that we do need to send a text to, and we do need to give a call to, to say, hey, you need to come in for your blood work, you need to come in, and we need to talk about your insulin dosage. So the analytics is really key to helping us figure out who are the patients, where are they, and how can we make an intervention. Uh-huh. And the, the organization Femwelder, are they just in South Florida, or do you do MSO work elsewhere, or? So we are just Florida-based at this time, just Florida-based uh -huh. at this time. And you said about 500? 500 physicians. 500 physicians. 500 physicians. And we have the same challenges that everyone else has across the country. Absolutely. So, I mean, it, there's so much to learn. There's so much to Absolutely. learn. Absolutely. Full multi-specialty. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And primary care as well? We do. So we're primarily women's health, and we do have, so we have a lot of OBGYNs in the area, but we also have primary care, pediatricians, and several other specialties. Have, let me ask you, the have you integrated behavioral? Are you, you know, looking, we're looking at that? that. We're yeah, looking at that because that's a key part of everything. Absolutely. That's a key part of everything. So we're yeah. looking at that. And we're looking at it particularly the telemedicine space because there's a lot of success particularly um, in the telemedicine space around behavioral health. Right, and there's some innovative approaches where you can, you know, essentially share a psychiatrist with five offices through telemedicine Correct. as a as a, a, a very um, nice efficient way to, to get that done or things like that or a psychologist or a licensed clinical social worker need. Correct. Really Correct. fascinating. So it's great to have you there. Are there any other things you've seen at Hims here that are exciting you, or is it sort of, hey, we're seeing the evolution. There's the same stuff up there. Sure. I mean, there's so much going on, Fred. Right. Yeah. But uh, you know, I would say again, I'm, I'm really jazzed to see that patient engagement is front and center. Class put out a report and has really made this its own category. We've talked about it in the past, but it's never been its own category. Right. And I think now it's you know again when I think about population health management, patient engagement is pop health management. Right, because you can't manage a population if you're not engaging. Well, that's them. exactly right. You know, it's, we're doing a healthcare leader tweet chat coming up on Tuesday next Tuesday, I think it is, and it's gonna be on population health. And actually, I'd love to join. I'm con oh yeah, you'll have to get on. And it's uh, you know when you think about it, it's identify, assess, stratify, engage, engage. 
may be measured. Well, we don't really have necessarily a good measure of what is an engaged patient. Maybe different for different patients. And so that's one of the things we're hopefully going to discuss in this tweet chat well, is that issue. So fascinating. It's about, the it's about closing it the gaps. It is about closing gaps. Yes, it is. Well, thank you so much, Keith. It's thank a pleasure you. to see Please you again meet. and stop by. Fascinating what you're doing in South Florida. And it's nice to see your excitement too about it because you're making a difference. You're helping patients out. Thank you. So thank great. You thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So there you have it. Another incredible thought leader. Dr. Geetha Nair from uh, Femwell, and she's uh, just, as you can hear, doing some neat stuff, understands the importance of data, and has been cranking through it and making a difference. So it looks Hi. like we've got our next guest. Hey, Kate, how are you doing? Great, how are you doing today? Great, it's great to have you on. And you are with? I am actually a student, but I'm, uh, you I'm speaking You are a student here. at George May, and what were you speaking on? I'm speaking on patient engagement and empowerment. Well, it's funny you just mentioned that, because we just finished this last conversation on was patient engagement. So, and did you also spend some time in the click booth looking through things as well? Yeah, yeah, really so, interesting stuff. Great, so let's first talk about, you said you spoke on patient engagement. What did you talk about? So I'm actually speaking this upcoming Thursday oh, it's coming up. from yeah. 1 to 2, uh, session 251, if you want uh -huh. to tune in. And we're being live streamed, which is exciting. Um, great. So a little bit about my background. I um, was originally a patient. About 10 years ago, I got really sick with a severe case of Lyme disease. Um, lost the ability to read and write, was wheelchair bound, um, really wow. went downhill very quickly. And we were dealing with massive amounts of data that were really hard to... Um, yeah, go ahead. That, oh, sorry. That's dealing with massive good. amounts of data that, were, um, that was really hard to manage. And my mother at the time was a rocket scientist um, and discovered that it was literally easier for her to launch a satellite into space than to manage my data. Absolutely. So she started playing around with different kinds of ways to capture that data um, and started having me produce my own data. So I started writing down you know, what I was feeling, the severity of my symptoms, all of these things. And it really made it much easier to manage my condition and communicate with my doctors. Um, and I ended up getting better because of it, because we were managed to harness my own data and, and really represent myself, mm -hmm. um, represent me and my story to my doctors. Um, so I ended up getting better. Within a year, I became an EMT because I was interested in healthcare. So I switched from a year from riding in ambulances to um, to serving patients in ambulances. Excellent. But I discovered in the back of the ambulance that you know a lot, many of the patients that we were transporting didn't need to be there. You know there were all these population health right. factors Absolutely. that were way more critical for us to be facing. So um, I'm in college now, pursuing a health administration and policy degree uh, with an interest in population health. Um, which is why seeing the click dashboards are so interesting, you know, uh -huh. pulling all of that critical data is so important. So what did you see when you were looking through the click dashboards? What were you looking at and what really pinged you? Yeah. So I was looking at some of your readmission rates, some of your views of different kinds of populations that you're serving. Um, mm -hmm. For me, I think one of the things that really interests me is social determinants of health and environmental determinants of health. Mm -hmm. So being able to see when you're dealing with a, you know, a hospital population, you know, where are these people living? Do they have a car to get to their appointments? What's the air quality like? You know, there's right. all these different things that we don't think about. Um, when I was transporting, pa transporting patients, one of the biggest things that kept happening is patients weren't there getting their medication. Well, why aren't they getting their medication? You know, are they in an area that isn't near a pharmacy? Um, you know, are they working full time and have three kids and they can't get to the pharmacy? Uh, and how do we meet patients where they are and better serve them? Um, you know, from every perspective, from an ethical perspective, you know, patients deserve better treatment in this country. Mm -hmm. um, but also cost analysis, right? If you're transporting this patient to and from the hospital in an ambulance, it's a very expensive cost. Right. If you can get them their medication ahead of time, it's a lot cheaper and, and far more effective um, way of managing their health. So you said you were sort of focusing on engagement. Tell me about your thoughts on engagement. Yeah, so I would love to see, you know, 
there's a lot of new technology coming out, but I think patient voices still aren't really being captured in the conversation. Um, and that's from a lot of different perspectives. You know, I would love to get um, better accessibility for patients of their medical records to start with. I mean, we're still fighting that, right? A lot of patients still struggle to just get that data to begin with. Um, but also things like medical devices. We don't talk a lot about that, but a lot of medical device companies don't allow patients to access the data. You know, they're, they're wearing these devices and they can't see what their bodies are producing. Right. Um, so I think that's that's one of the major barriers is, is just giving patients accessibility that, to that data to begin with. Um, but also finding, you know, inclusive and user-friendly ways to do that, right? So. Mm -hmm. For me, I compare you know, getting used to your own patient data kind of like learning a new language, right? It's this whole new system of communication that we aren't really taking advantage of. And I don't know, we would never expect someone to learn you know, French overnight during incredibly stressful times at high volume. But we expect patients to be able to communicate and navigate that data really suddenly during really difficult times and you know, a ton at a time. Mm -hmm. um, so I think finding better ways to, to make that transition smoother uh, is really important. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, patient engagement is sort of the hot button item and always has been, I think, you know, once you solve that, it's sort of the holy grail of, yeah. of health and healthcare. Um, as you think about that from a data perspective, what sorts of, you talked about getting the patient voice inside, what sort of data elements might you think of that might be important for, to begin to put into these systems yeah. to ensure that they're getting the information they want? So I think certain things like total symptom load, you know, um, pain levels, Mental health, I think, is a big thing that we don't think about. Um, mood and and depression and all of those different scenarios. You know, a lot of that we don't talk about in terms of capturing data. But I think it'd be great. You know, we have these fabulous EHR systems. We have patient portals are becoming more and more common. Why not allow patients to enter their own data every week or so in terms of where they're where they're at? You know, make notes. Um, communicate with their doctors over those things so that when they go into their appointments after two months, they don't have to remember off the top of their heads, okay, what has changed over the last two months? Right. You know, a patient with multiple chronic conditions, they could be seeing six or seven doctors, and that's normal. That's totally normal. Uh -huh. So being able to remember all of that information every two months with everything that you're dealing with, it's, it's a real burden. Um, yeah. You know, as you saw with Click, they're pulling together all these data sources, make it really easy yes. to kind of pull them together. Yes. Are there, and you, you bring up something that just my mind just started racing on this idea, are there certain elements that an individual might want to say, here's how I like to be communicated with, here's the things I get, here's the things I don't respond to, right. or some of that, maybe yeah. you start feeding that data in and yes. you talk about the other? Yep, yep. And the other thing too is that sometimes things that look good to prescribe on paper don't work when you go home, right? Like a pain medication that it made sense to make prescribe on paper, if you're going to school and it prevents you from focusing, you're not going to take that medication, right? right. You're not going to stick to your care plan and so your interventions aren't going to work as effectively. If we allow patients to communicate that information to their doctors, you know, but if it's two months until the next time you see your doctor, how are you going to communicate that to them? How are you going to say, this isn't working for me, I can't live day to day. Mm -hmm. So you're just going to stop taking that medication, for better or for worse. Yeah. So yeah, you're totally right. I think helping patients to communicate those kinds of things are really important. Um, the other thing that I think, you know, platforms like Click that pull all these data points together, it's really powerful for me. I can see my story now. Like when I look at my data, I have in front of me the whole pattern of what So happened. you would like to have something like this within your portal? I would love I would to guess. see something like this yeah. within my portal. And then you could play with it like and that? look at your stuff? And, and right, what if you were to have your medications on top of that? What if you were, you know, you could see, okay, at this point, I took this medication and I got really bad. Wow, now I'm just noticing that, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe this is the medication that's causing it. When you're dealing with so much, it's hard to make, it's hard to identify those exact points, right, as a patient. It uh -huh. would be great to be able to visualize that. Uh -huh. And the other great thing about these dashboards is, say your mother only speaks Spanish, and you're her major caregiver, 
and you have to advocate on her behalf. What if your mom could take a dashboard like that, enter all of her symptoms in Spanish, and then translate it to English for your doctor? Yeah. That's the power of these things. I mean, right. when we talk about inclusivity, when we talk about including all kinds of patients in the conversation when it comes to data, that's the power that we have to change. Like, that's a really important thing. Great. So what year are you in school? I'm actually a senior. I graduate in May. Wow. Well, congratulations for that. Thank you so much. Are you, do you have a sense of what you'll be doing next, or are you I'm, still waiting to figure it out? Which I'm is sort of the norm. Yeah. I'm waiting to hear back from grad school, so when I hear back from that, make the next move. And uh, what would you be doing in your grad school if you go there? Uh, health policy. Really? Yeah. I'm interested. Oh, well, that is great. Well, we'll have to catch up. I get a little involved in policy myself, oh, so fabulous. I'd love to okay, talk great. to you at great. some point. Well, well great. Well, thank, thank you so, so much, Kate, for stopping by and telling thank us a little bit about on. your obviously expertise and engagement, et cetera. I hope your presentation goes great. Thursday at 1 o'clock, you said? 1 o'clock, yes. And what room was it again? Uh, it's session 251. Session Sorry, 251. But it's also so, going to be live streamed on Facebook if you can't make it. Right. If you can't make it, catch the live stream. But that one's definitely going to be worth listening to. So thanks Thank again, you. Kate, Thank for so stopping by. And good luck with finishing up on your school program. Fascinating. So we're running into about the last of this session, which has been really incredible. What a great group of people we've had coming through here at the Click booth. Again, booth 2865 at HIMSS 2018. Um, it's so interesting to see the last couple of speakers in this discussion of engagement and use of data and analytics uh, from each of them with slightly different perspectives, but you can see we're really beginning to um, to coalesce around uh, this idea of getting the patients, the individuals more involved with and able to see and use their data in manners that they want to see and use it. And obviously, with Kate, very sophisticated, having experienced Lyme disease and then managing her condition by beginning to put together all of the data in a way with her mother, the rocket scientist, to be able to help with her own health care. So uh, I think we've got our next guest here, uh, who I believe is uh hello charlie yes, yes nice, to meet, you, nice to meet you thanks so much for stopping no by here at all really I'm appreciate it so i'm gonna squeeze, I'm gonna squeeze in yeah oh go right ahead uh, so yeah so you're talking to mike you a little bit closer okay. it helps yeah. a lot so uh, charlie give us uh, a sense of your background who you are and what you do yeah okay. so i um i was an ex-customer of clicks worked uh, over in the new south wales health system for a number of years um luckily enough new south wales signed an enterprise agreement with click in 2014. uh-huh um, and then uh david at click asked me to uh, join the team to sort of help roll out uh further expansion across the asia pacific region so, and so your role with them, uh, your I'm title a, i'm an industry solutions director for health and public sector but i look after the uh, asia pacific region the asia pacific region well, fantastic and uh, so Click really is a worldwide it company is. and solution all over the place? It is, yeah. And particularly uh, over the last few years, we've seen some significant growth in uh, Australia and the Asia Pacific region, uh -huh. which is great. I think now they're, they're starting to catch on to the uh, the importance of uh, technology and data and as, a, as an enabler to uh, right. system performance. And so you came out of a hospital, you said? Yes. And, you, yeah. and uh, how big was that facility? Uh, I had a budget of about uh, $1.4, $1.5 billion, uh, about 11 12, Australian staff, dollars. Australian dollars, yes. And how does that relate? Uh, I haven't looked at the exchange rate recently. Uh, probably about 1.2, I think, billion wow. American US Wow, so, yeah, big it's place. A fairly large organizations. So, yeah, premier health organization in Australia. So. Oh, okay. And you said they put in enterprise-wide click, click across the uh, the entire organization. So. And uh, were they using it throughout, from operations to finance to clinical as well, like yeah, other 
across all yeah, with across, click, everything, yeah, across just all feed it across in. Across all different dynamics. So yeah. we started off with a, a couple of uh, particular use cases to try to engage the clinical workforce because they are typically uh, very reluctant to um, to uh, jump on board any of the uh, sort of uh, administrative uh, um, processes around like you know reviewing data and all the rest. Uh-huh. It was just so stale and stagnant in PDF reports. So we uh, developed some applications to uh, to engage them, some sort of like a nice user interface and, and the rest to uh, sort of drive that. And your action. role at the hospital at that time was? I was the uh, director of performance and innovation. So, oh, yeah. performance and innovation. innovation. Yeah, there you right. go. That's some great stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so you obviously had a pretty good sense of click from the user side. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what attracted David uh, David uh, Bolton, the uh, vice yeah. president of industry solutions. That attracted him to uh, to try to. Uh, get me into the role, I think, because it's all right. the, uh, the transition across, and all the story to tell, having been through the headache, the trolls, the tribulations of, of uh, deployment from uh, from the ground up, uh-huh. would be uh, extremely relevant for other customers going down the same path. And so how long have you been working with Click products, uh, maybe? Probably, yeah, uh, since uh, back end of 2011, uh, uh-huh. and I joined the company in 2015, so I had four years in the health So service. what sort of changes have you seen over that time with the product? Uh, phenomenal change in technology. Yeah. <laughs> so when I uh, when we first engaged Click, it was uh, ClickView, they were a single product offering, and over the years they've, they've slowly added to their platform, so they've got ClickSense, uh, imprinting, geoanalytics, the Click Analytics platform, so it's been incredible. And all the different add-ons now with the uh, advanced analytics integration, the server integration, it's, yeah, it's, the, uh, the innovation really excites me. Yeah, it's been interesting. I suddenly look at the platform and say, oh, wow, you, they get the next one. Oh, yeah, now we're connected. We got R, we got Python. Now you announce the Cerner thing. Yeah. So it really is kind of just snowballing bigger and bigger. It is, and I think that's what um, uh, customers or even prospects get excited about that as well. They don't see that we're resting on our laurels because we've always had the Click Associated Index, which is being our flagship sort of uh, differentiator across the uh, across the market, um, but rather than resting on that, we've continually added and we've added really significant improvements or uh, value to to the platform. Uh, so the Cerner integration, particularly from an Australian perspective, is really important because Cerner has um, enterprise agreements with uh, New South Wales Health, uh, Queensland, and a few other larger organisations. Got it. So us and there are click customers as well. So being able to integrate the two. And make it more and more of a seamless sort of uh, collaboration and network use is really critical. So, from a client perspective, and now you know a click perspective, what do your clients say about the product? Yeah, they're uh, completely blown away. Particularly the uh, the administrators are. So uh, that's the quote we'll use. They're completely blown away. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you could. I think uh, one of one of our clients, you know, in New Zealand, says it's the best technology he's used since the iPhone. So, <laughs> wow. And that, and that was a CIO. Wow. Uh, of a large government agency, uh-huh. but. Um, I think our clinicians have been, uh, staff on the front line, so nursing staff, allied health staff, clinicians, they've been crying out for a system like this, a tool like this for, for years. They've, uh, they're very uh, intuitive, they're very uh, analytical, they've got analytical minds, obviously they have to diagnose patients and diagnosing data is the same thing. Um, but their systems uh, in the past were very archaic and they didn't really uh, support any of that. Um, right, it seems like the, the, the differentiator is it's easy and like you said, intuitive. It's not clunky, no. you know. Which, and as I've used it and looked at it, it's just fascinating to yeah. see that. And from a user perspective, they can't break it, so they make it <laughs> right. they can always just go back. So there's, there's right. no uh, there's no worry about what they're doing, or they can just freely uh, probe the system if they like. And it's funny, you're the second person who mentioned this idea of people afraid they're going to break it. Yeah. And I think of with the prior people talked about how they put a little button on the yeah. button that said return or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. So see, you'll never break it anyhow, yeah, but we're going to exactly, give you the button to exactly make it easy right, for yeah. you to understand that so, concept. Like that comfort, yeah. Yeah, so that's yeah. great. 
And what do you see coming out now in the future? Anything? I think the, uh, the advanced analytics side of things from a healthcare perspective, being able to predict length of stay, reefishing rates, uh, quality mm -hmm. outcomes, etc., is, right. is, is going to be the new frontier in, uh, in health analytics. And when you do Asia, it's not just Australia, there are other... Yeah, so big. all the way, I stretched up from as far down as Australia all the way up to Japan. So uh, including Singapore, Philippines, Malaysia, Thailand, India. So when you look at some of those countries, are there any different uses you see than potentially in the United States or no, any things they're doing unique that we could learn from? And that's a great thing, I think, with uh, with healthcare solutions and challenges are very similar across the uh, across the across geographies. So I think most hospitals have similar challenges around their clinical needs, financial needs, operational needs. They might have different nuances in terms of how they might address those and that's where we try to collaborate being in the industry with the industry solutions team. We try to connect those organizations, those health systems together so they can start collaborating networking and decide on global best practice, if that makes sense. And this may be a really stupid question, but I haven't asked it before. So I assume since you work in all those countries, you've got this thing multilingual? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we do, yes, you can. Um, so yeah, it's easily translatable, uh, uh -huh. particularly in areas like Japan, yeah. whereas uh, English isn't as, as uh, widely spoken as right. others, and, and some in, in China as well. Um, so yeah, they, they've, they've got translatable versions of, of uh -huh. the product as well. And uh, you must be on the road a lot. I am. I spent a fair bit of. Uh, You've got a lot of frequent travel. flyer miles. Yeah, to <laughs> everything so far away from Australia, so it's uh, it's always a. Uh, I think my. Uh, I think Singapore's the closest, and that's an eight-hour flight, nine-hour flight from Australia. So everything's always a uh, distance. Yeah, and I was talking to Rob about it. He said, "Oh yeah, I got a flight back on Saturday. It's a long one. Yeah. I have to recuperate again. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. So." Um, and, and uh, how long are you here in, at the Hymns Conference? Uh, I uh, leave on Friday, so I got in on Sunday and yeah. I uh, leave, go back home on Friday. Are there any things you see here that excite you or you've looked around there? some of the stuff around the uh, virtual reality. I yeah. think that's really clever. I think from, uh, from a telehealth perspective, so clinicians, when they're not able to get to the patient physically, being able to provide some sort of uh, clinical judgments, clinical guidance to potentially a nurse in a community or a remote area. Uh, by some virtual reality is really clever. So I haven't thought of this, and maybe it's really outlandish. Is there any piece of virtual reality that could play a role in Click? I think there already has been. So uh, some of our uh, uh, smart folks in R&D have developed these uh, solutions where uh, they plug in all historical data and it sort of feeds as a uh, clinician might be standing there We'll see a patient being brought into a trolley on, on the ED and we'll yeah. analyze all the data, all the historical data, present the data that they've seen from the patient's presentation, and being able to guide him in terms of the right treatment pathway for Interesting. the patient. So yeah, Fascinating. some quite clever, uh, clever things happening. In Those are the, that space. What do you have, like this little group within Click doing all the cool far out stuff? Very cool far out <laughs> stuff, yeah, way, way beyond my means, that's for sure. <laughs> that sounds yeah. great. Um, any other things you think about from data analytics as, as, as companies look to say, hey, we need to, we really need to better understand what's going on in our organization, yeah. what should they be thinking about? Well, there's two things. I think data literacy is a, is a key. I think organizations need to understand uh, from their users, once they, uh, they push analytics out to the edge, to the front line, to, to the business users, they really need to understand or help the uh, users understand exactly what they're seeing. So rather than just uh, seeing a pretty picture on a, on, a, on a screen, understand what that actual pretty picture means and what the next step is, what actionable insight they can gain from that. And the second one is probably for organizations not to, um, to probably learn to uh, uh, crawl before they uh, walk, walk before they run, run before they sprint. Because I think some organizations now, there's particularly a lot of vendors out here that are predicting, that are uh, pushing out these buzzwords like artificial intelligence and all the rest. Right. And, and the system's just not ready for that. I think they need to understand there's a process that they need to go through. 
uh, working through their sort of their diagnostic or analytics maturity curve before they try to go out and you know waste money on, on something that they're not going to get any value from. Right, and that really makes sense too, which is so interesting because you know, and I've seen your examples where you bring in social determinants data. Mm. So fantastic for those providers that are ready to begin to address it, to right, make exactly an actionable. Right. So yeah, but. But if you're not ready, you know, then what the heck are you bringing in the AI system or something? If you're not, if it's not going to do that, yeah. create something for your user. If you aren't ready to arrange transportation, then maybe you don't want to begin to bring that data in, except maybe to understand that yeah, we have a problem. We need yeah. to address it at some point. Yeah, exactly right. I think a lot of providers need to see or understand um, and be comfortable with what's happening in their own house first. Yes, and that's that walk, generally. crawl, walk, yeah, run exactly. approach. Yeah. And I, I do think sometimes that scares providers from yeah. taking those steps. Because someone's coming in and saying, well, you can do all of this. Yeah, it's well, right. dang, I'm still trying to do what's right, right they here. Get, they get influenced by uh, by buzzwords, by media, yeah. by analyst reports, etc. So it's really difficult for them. And they just see they don't want to be behind the curve or behind the eight ball. So they're trying to be as... Um, as proactive as possible as they can, but often it's that, that sort of uh, proactivity can almost uh, limit you as well. Like if you, uh, if you don't do have a really strong foundation, um, that's that's where it needs to be a uh, critical. Well, fantastic! Thank right. you so much for joining us today. No excellent, excellent time. You were great, excellent. and I hope you have a fantastic trip back to Australia. And maybe one day I can get down there and see the Click folks down there. Please do. There's lots that of That would be to nice. Cheers. Yes, and hey, well, Greg's the surfer, so ah, Greg, awesome. <laughs> Get down there. Lots of beaches there. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's going to have to do it. From the Click Booth, this is uh, Fred Goldstein on behalf of Health Innovation Media, and we've spent the past two days uh, broadcasting here from Click Healthcare Analytics at HIMSS 2018, and uh, really been an excellent experience. So thank you all for joining us, and we hope you continue to listen in to our shows in the future. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.